in over 100 countries in seven different languages to more than a half billion viewers each week. The World Wrestling Federation, the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. Are you ready? The showstopper. Sexy. The main event. HBK. The icon, Shawn Michaels, oh, battles Ken Shamrock for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. DX can play anyone for a sucker! <laughs> Triple H. Triple H. There's one piece of artillery I'm not gonna use. Hunter Hurst Helmsley battles Sergeant Slaughter. I'm gonna save that for your old lady. <laughs> and it's the big... Oh, girl. Generation X. I want you. That's a sickening. I'm you. How low will these human beings stoop? Come play with me. Degeneration X rules the wrestling world. Generation X. Degenerate me. And now, Milton Bradley Karate Fighters presents Degeneration X in your house. Hello again and welcome to the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, I can no longer list the episodes by number. You see, Apple Podcasts sent out this memo to all the podcasters that were posting podcasts that said, we don't want you to include the episode number anymore, so we will no longer be doing that. So you'll just have to keep count. In your mind. Why can we not post numbers? They they don't like that, apparently. What difference does it make what I call the episode? Yeah. I could call it whatever I want to. I think we should still number it. No, I'm going to play by the rules. They said that they didn't want that anymore, so I'm going to play by the rules. You know me, I'm a rebel, so. What episode is this, Alec? It's uh, in the hundreds. I'm not <laughs> sure. Every time I publish this, I have to go and look and see what episode it actually is, so we'll find out together. All right, good deal. Uh, as we enter March 2019, what do you have for us from the world of pro wrestling? J E double F, J A double R E double T double J. Jeff Jarrett is wanting a judge to give him the rights back to his global force wrestling name and brand. Well, this was a very confusing thing that happened a few years ago when Jeff Jarrett came back to Impact Wrestling. So he came back and they wanted to use his brand. Global Force Wrestling wasn't even an operating brand, but the people at Anthem Sports and Impact decided, you know what, we'll go ahead and change our brand and we'll be GFW. And they went through the trouble of changing out all their world title belts, incorporating the green, calling their streaming service the Global Wrestling Network, changing everything around for Jeff Jarrett. Well, then they ran into some problems. They said, Jeff, do you have all this stuff trademarked? Do you have it all copyrighted? Is everything secured? And he said, no. Well, that didn't make them too happy. <laughs> and then Jeff Jarrett had his own personal demons with the, the drinking and the struggling with that. So they let him go. And after they let him go, they realized, well, all this global wrestling stuff is valueless to us because we don't have its proper copyright or anything. So Jeff then sued them mainly for the possession of the Amped tapings. There was a series called GFW Amped. It was like a 12 or 13 part series. And they had taped all these matches. Impact kept the master tapes of that and actually sold a few online as far as you could stream it. You could pay them like 
five bucks and stream an episode. And these things were shot like two years before they ever saw the light of day. So it's really strange. So like Bobby Roode was already in like NXT, but he was showing up in these things online. So Jeff Jarrett feels that his brand was still in those tapes and he wanted those tapes back. What came out of this lawsuit in the past week or two is that Impact has deleted the master tapes. The master tapes, they say, don't exist anymore. So you can't sue us because we don't have them. Because somehow in Impact's regular course of business, in their lawsuit response to him, basically say, it was on our hard drive, it was taking up space, and we just hit delete. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense for everything I know about Impact from what I've heard and from all the wrestlers and talent that have left Impact. It makes, I 100% believe this to be fact. Dirt, dirty pull. I'm not exactly sure what this lawsuit is about then. And even if Jeff Jarrett claimed that these had so much value, they obviously did not. I mean, these were very, these were basically house show matches that they taped that they didn't have a lot of value to begin with because Impact didn't feel that way because they hit delete. He might be suing them for some sort of breach of contract with him. As far as that GFW brand, I think his only, the only other thing he's pissed off about with them is that they use the green W in their wrestling network. From Global Force Wrestling. They still do? Yeah. G, that GWN logo, I mean, that's what's on even WWE Network footage that they use. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He feels that that green is enough to say that that's my brand. And I feel like he's going to have a difficult time arguing that if he never secured the proper trademarks and copyrights to begin with. True. And how is it that WWE is using it? Well, they're using if, it from Impact who feel like they can use it. So they're actually buying it from Impact Wrestling. Well, they're buying. They had portions. an agreement to. Well, they they're not buying it, but they for like the Hardys special or for the Table Three with AJ Styles or whatever. They used some of that footage and they would put that branding at the bottom. I mean, I think they just asked Impact, "Can we use some clips?" And they said, "Sure, as long as you put that logo there." Yeah. And now Jeff Jarrett is working for the WWE. He's fine. He's gonna be just fine. So I think it's a bitter breakup between. Impact and Jeff Jarrett that is winding its way through the courts, which will ultimately lead to really nothing <laughs> for either of them. It was pretty shocking, though, that they deleted some of their own content or Jeff Jarrett's content, in his opinion. I mean, based on what I can tell from going to the current Global Force Wrestling website is that it would appear that Jeff Jarrett has he sold the brand Global Force Wrestling to Fight TV and Fight TV uses it to co-promote things like they were involved in nwa 70 somehow yeah i don't know if jeff jarrett is actually still involved with that but so it is still functioning in some capacity it's just not functioning as a wrestling brand itself so i'm not even sure i'm not really sure about all this uh it's all weird it's all weird i've never had to deal with intellectual property rights you know if someone wanted to go trademark Retro wrestling podcast. I wouldn't even know how to track them down. I was going to say with our with our with our show, bro. You you need to check into that, man. (laughs) It's okay. I don't. I we don't make any money off this show. Yeah, we do. We make tons. Don't say that. Then the tax people will come looking for us. We don't. (laughs) We don't make any money. It is tax season, by the way. It is. You've got another month and a half left. I got to go see my accountant. That is very true. Going from one mysterious thing to another. Uh, one that pisses me off is Arn Anderson being let go by WWE this past week. Well, they've had uh, quite a shakeup in the creative team and in the overall direction of the product, even on the air. They've made some adjustments to programs and matches seemingly on the fly and out of nowhere, out of left field. 
And so this was among them. Apparently, the rumored thing is that there was some house show that Arn Anderson was at. He was he's been with the company ever since WCW folded. So you're talking about 17 years. Yeah, almost 18 years. Yeah, with the company. And I thought at this point he was pretty much guaranteed to be a lifelong employee, but there was something that happened at a house show and that Vince was not happy with it and uh, Arn took responsibility for it and was dismissed and that was the end of it. And there's really not been anything further from that. And there's no rumors if he's... He would still probably be subjected to a 90-day clause just like any performer would be. So if you think that he's going to end up in AEW, we won't know until 90 days from now. Holy shit. I didn't even think of that. That would be awesome. He was a big favorite of John Cena. Well, John Cena's not on the road that much. A lot of the older guys that didn't come up through NXT that are still with the company liked Arn a lot. And they were probably his best defense against any kind of uh, bad decision that he makes or something that's questioned by Vince, that he always had that in his back pocket, that he's, if you're John Cena's favorite road agent, you're going to be fine. John Cena's not there anymore. So I think it was just time for them to part ways, apparently. I mean, I thought it was kind of low to do it the week before Ric Flair's 70th birthday party, but from what I've read online and from what I've heard is that Arn and Ric Flair are not really good friends anymore so there's something that's happened there so really yeah there's some sort of rift between them they could have at least kept him for one week for the 70th birthday thing but apparently there's something going on there that i'm totally unaware of so damn that's just speculation i'm not sure about that but right arn will be fine uh people in creative he will he'll have so many bookings for legends and comic cons and all that stuff it'll be Unreal. Even though Arn's not very keen to break kayfabe, he would make a great podcaster or somebody to, if Conrad Thompson is looking for more talent after Bruce Pritchard got rehired by the company, unless that is going to continue, if, I mean, I think Arn would be perfect for something like that. Yeah. But there's always AEW. There's always, yeah, just the convention circuit. I mean, Arn... Made plenty of good WCW money in addition to his 17 years with the WWE. So I'm not really worried about Arn Anderson, but it was a little bit surprising given how long he had been there. Yeah, I, I mean, and after just doing a, an indie show with him myself just back in October, um, I know the turnout that he could get on the indie scene. And so I feel like it was a stupid move on their part. You're talking about a shakeup in the creative team and in the producing team and all that. Steve Carino has a new role. He's no longer with NXT. He will, in fact, be a producer of Raw and SmackDown. Yeah, apparently he's taken over the role that Jamie Noble was playing on Raw and SmackDown backstage. And this coincides with the NXT call-up, so that's probably why they went ahead and made that move. They apparently have different plans for Jamie Noble, but um, there's... Just a lot of guys backstage right now. I mean, they released that video a couple weeks ago with now they've got Abyss back there. They've got Jeff Jarrett. They've got Hurricane Helms. They've got Davari. It's becoming a crowded kitchen. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen backstage. And that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. But it's way too early to tell. Like I was telling you before we started recording is at the end of the day, Vince McMahon gives a thumbs up and the thumbs down to everything. So really, you can have a million people back there. You can have good riders, bad riders, bad agents, good agents. At the end of the day, it's this guy that has final say. 
and he takes the blame and he takes the credit. So yeah, well, especially with Dana Warrior now being a part of the uh, the creative team. Yeah, this I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying, you know, what has she ever done for the business? But my response to that would be, they bring people in not just in the WWE, but my example to you was Freddie Prinze Jr. He was an actor and he was the son of an actor, but he was never a pro wrestler. He was never in the locker room of pro wrestling. No, and he's never wrote uh, a script in a day in his life. So I'm sure he has, but. It wouldn't be anything we would know. But <laughs> going back to WCW, yeah, Ed Ferrara was not a wrestling writer. He was a TV writer. He wrote for like the sitcom Weird Science. He had experience in kids' shows. I mean, they hired uh, Jim Hurd, who came from Pizza Hut. Uh, <laughs> Eric Hut. Bischoff is executive vice president. I mean, even he'll talk about it on all these DVDs and even on the podcast. He was an announcer. He had no experience running a wrestling company. Now that is very true. That but the the he is a rare rare person in the fact that what he was able to pull off and do was unbelievable. But but, but I do see your point exactly. I mean right. there have been people not only off camera behind the scenes running things, writing things that have never been in pro wrestling. You get into people that get to be in the ring. You have the guy from Green Arrow. He gets in the ring. Shaquille O'Neal steps in. The, oh, go ahead. Get in the Battle Royal. Go for it, pal. Lawrence Taylor, Jay Leno, Dennis Rodman. Uh, <laughs> they all become David Arquette was the world heavyweight champion. It's you just walk in. Yeah, you have no experience coming in. How do you get experience, Patrick? Well, you have to start somewhere. Some people just get to start a little bit further down the road than others. A great example would be Vicky Guerrero. Vicky Guerrero had never been involved on on-screen angles and became a great heel commissioner and manager and persona on screen. That's very true. And if she was around in the Twitter verse when social media was as prevalent as it is today, when it said, oh, they hired Vicky Guerrero to be on air, people would be screaming, what does she fucking know about this? What yeah. does she do? What does she bring to the table? Yeah. But it turned out fine. Yeah, And so you can't scream about Dana Warrior and say, what does she know about wrestling? What do you, I don't know. Maybe she does know something. Maybe she doesn't. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to be Vince to say yes or no. So it really I, doesn't matter. I think it's a way of a paycheck and an income now that uh, Ultimate Warrior is no longer alive, as well as it's a stepping stone for her daughters who do want to be wrestlers to open that door now that they're teenagers and getting into that age of wanting to learn and wanting to be trained there have been people that would say that they're more qualified like uh jimmy jacobs a couple years ago he's a wrestler that i don't care for that i don't find much i don't think he's very good i mean joey mercury worked there backstage for years as an agent and i think joey mercury sucked in the ring he was better than Johnny Nitro, but he still stunk, uh, and he was back there. I mean, Norman Smiley is a decent in-ring performer. I didn't like his character work, but he's got a job at NXT. They make a lot of, in my mind, questionable decisions, people that I would not personally hire, but it always seems to work out for them one way or another because at the end of the day, it's Vince that says, yes, this is a good idea. We will go with this, or no, we will not, and... There have been much more qualified riders, much more qualified agents, 
much more qualified wrestlers that have went, come and gone with nothing because Vince is the ultimate decider of fates. No other writing room works like this in the world where I go to work and I know that my ideas, no matter how good or bad they are, have zero chance of making it to screen. That is a very intimidating writer's room. And to even voluntarily go in there, yeah, it's for a paycheck, but to subject yourself to that kind of abuse every day and know when something is sinking that you will get the blame from the guy who actually altered it to make it bad. I mean, that's why Paul Heyman can't be backstage anymore as a writer. Because creatively, this would drive you insane. This is the definition of insanity. I applaud her for taking up this challenge, and we'll see how far it goes. But I'm not going to criticize the hiring because, just like the Hall of Fame, it's just whatever they feel like that day. You want to be a writer today? Sure, okay. They thought Jonathan Coachman would make a good Raw announcer. They thought... What the hell does he do now that he's no longer announcing? The pre-show panels. Really? Yeah, he does the pay-per-view pre-show panels. Wow. Well, you know, two less people that are in the back back there is Tommy and TJP. They have officially been let go. They are. We covered re- that last time. No, we, they asked for their release. They had. Oh, no- we only covered Ty Dillinger. That's right. So Ty Dillinger, Hideo Itami, and TJP were all granted their release. Kenta can go back to Japan, and he'll make a lot of money, and he'll be a lot more motivated, and he'll be able to wrestle his style. I mean, he had to change his finisher. He had to change the way he did the GTS after he cracked the orbital bone of Austin Aries. And I think someone else, oh, it was uh, Brian Kendrick. He injured him with it. And so they said, you got to do it totally different. So they handcuffed him. He was injury prone, and that really hurt him because once they brought in Nakamura, he was shit out of luck. And there was just no, there was no saving him in the WWE system. TJP... Uh, was unfortunately that cruiserweight tournament they did. They decided to send two guys to the semifinals that they had no hope of signing, and that was Zack Saber Jr. and Kota Ibushi were never going to sign with them. But they decided to send them to the semifinals, and when they got to the day of the show and they realized, well, these two guys aren't going to sign with us, well, that left them with, like, I think it was Grand Metalik and TJP were in the finals. And so they just had to go with TJP for that initial cruiserweight champion but i think when he made it to 205 live and his brief cameos on raw and smackdown he never really impressed me on his main roster run and they had booked themselves into a corner originally giving him the the belt i mean he's the first rebranded cruiserweight champion of this current yeah. generation that he just had nothing going on a lot of those guys on 205 atami and tjp and the list goes on and on, they're probably saying, well, I'm not making much money here. My career's really not going anywhere. I'm in my 30s. I've got to go make money and be creatively satisfied. And I don't I don't know that TJP is going to find the same kind of opportunity that Kenta is, but I think if he's ever going to try, now is a good time with All Elite starting up. And I don't know that they'll take him. I don't know what the future holds for TJP. Out of those three, I think he's actually the one that I don't know where he's going to end up. He might end up back back in Mexico under a mask, for all I know. Um, well, I think the, the suicide gimmick that he did uh, was great. Right, but I think Impact owns that character. I don't think yeah. he can do that. I mean, they built a video game at the time around that character. And uh, it's the first, I think, wrestler that was created for a video game that then became 
reality. Yeah. But he wasn't the only one portraying that. They had Kazarian and Christopher Daniels also under that mask. They were doing it as well, really. Yeah, so they had multiple people. It was like Doink the Clown. It was multiple people were suicide, uh, manic, whatever you wanted to call them. So uh, I don't know what the future holds for TJP. And I think Ty Dillinger, with his connection to Cody Rhodes, will end up in AEW, maybe not as a talent, but as an agent or somebody like that. So it was unusual to see them release anybody, but... If you're going to cut people, those are the types of talents that are going to get cut. Yeah. Unfortunately, Titus O'Neil is still signed. And it seems when you like. You talk about the NXT people. I have not liked the past couple of weeks with NXT guys running practically the whole damn show. You mean on Raw and SmackDown? Yes. Well, I think that they're just trying to get them off to a better start than the last round of call ups and their last round of call ups before that and just trying to give them the best shot. Yeah, but it's terrible. Man, it's fucking terrible. It's- I think it's kind of lame that they had four of the best single stars from NXT and they brought them up and they've put them back in tag teams because the tag team divisions are so weak on Raw and SmackDown that even adding those guys to it, they're wrestling a bunch of scrubs. They're wrestling a bunch of comedy mid-card tag teams. I mean, on Raw, your choices are like, Gable and Bobby Roode, who I think are also geeks at this point. Uh, the Ascension, they're geeks. They've reunited Ryder and Kurt Hawkins. I mean, there is just nothing. that Those tag team divisions to me are just at the worst point they've been since many years ago when they had the split titles. And when they unified them, it made it a little bit better. But we're right back down to where there is just nothing for me in the tag team divisions. Yeah, but the crazy thing for me is the fact that, I mean, I'm just bored, man. I'm tired of seeing them there. They're not giving... Tired of seeing them? They've been there two weeks. I know, but they're not giving me what I feel I I want to watch. I They're just not. And, I mean, you talk about the tag team, the breakout. This is a bad time of the year for call-ups or any kind of new characters in general because we're on the road to WrestleMania in quotation marks. But yeah, it needs to be after Mania. Well, that's traditionally when they've done it, and this this seemed like a call out of left field by Vince McMahon to to do something. But well, the overall product is really sort of directionless right now, outside of their few Mania programs that they've got lined up. After I publish this, Fastlane will be on Sunday. They've only announced four matches for that pay-per-view, Patrick. So they're going to have to build out their card for a four-hour pay-per-view in five hours of TV time. And I just think that's nuts. And the other crazy part of it is the fact that they've pulled Kofi for Kevin Owens. And that, that blows my mind because I thought that was a good spot. Now, I don't see them working it into a triple threat. No, I think Kofi will have the singles match at Mania. Really? Or a triple threat. You yeah, think- I think they've swapped the the two title matches. So you fully believe that he's going to have a good Mania main event or a Mania title, world well, title. Where the world title is slotted on the card is not going to be anywhere no, close to the main event. No, so. but still, though, who all can say they've had a world title match at Mania? I mean, you're finally seeing him get his chance at something astonishing. Right, I... I think it, it's the right move to make because you can only win it at WrestleMania as your first title one time. You only have one shot at this. So why not do it there instead of just having him beat at Fastlane 
And even if he, like you said before, even at Elimination Chamber, even if they take the title off of him on Tuesday, it's still a moment. It's still a WrestleMania moment. And that's what Vince and Kevin Dunn and the WWE are interested in. They are creating moments. They're not about creating good matches or they don't care about wrestling. They care about sports entertainment. And the best place to do that kind of title win would be at WrestleMania. I thought the way they went about orchestrating the switch was really lazy because all they did was copy and paste the Becky and Charlotte thing where Vince just comes out and says, I don't like you and here's someone new. I thought that was really lazy. I thought there's other ways of doing that. And also, Kofi looked really bad on SmackDown because after he was taken out of the main event, he teamed with the guy that replaced him in a tag team match at the end of the night. Just went along with that. Steve Austin would not just go along with that. Yeah. And I mean, Kofi Kingston is not Stone Cold Steve Austin's character, but I thought that was made Kofi look kind of like a bitch, basically, to say, oh, okay, I'll just tag up with you. I know you're taking my lifetime opportunity here. I mean, Kevin Owens has already been Universal Champion. Kevin Owens is already a more accomplished wrestler in three years than Kofi in 11. So I thought it just made him look really bad, uh, but I think he's going to get the Mania program. That would be outstanding i feel like my only complaint about this thing is he's got to cut out some of the comedy shit oh yeah he's got to be he's got to be more focused of a challenger yeah he can't come out there walking around throwing out pancakes riding unicorns i agree taking this lightly he needs to they need to totally revamp his character in a month's time he needs to come back i mean it's okay to be with him but if he's doing his singles run he needs to come out to his old music. That way he's not having to dance along to that fucking New Day shit. I don't mind the theme song or coming out with the New Day. I just think he needs to, he can let the other guys do, he can let Big E and Xavier do the goofy shit, but he needs yeah. to look focused. He needs to look yeah, like he's really in the moment and not just, uh, whatever. It's yeah. cool. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of like RVD. Oh, cool. Whatever. Yeah. That's, I don't want that. But we'll see. We mentioned you made a brief statement about Hall of Fame just a few minutes ago. Everyone now has to stay for the full show of Hall of Fame because a picture came out to where there was hardly no one at all sitting in the uh, floor seats with while Hall of Fame was closing and wrapping up last year. And so it is now a pretty much a now a a you must stay for the whole thing. So I feel I think it's hilarious. I absolutely do. But it just goes to show it goes to make your argument complete at the aspect of this shit is too fucking long. <laughs> If the, if, well, yeah. the, if the guys are getting up and leaving, then there's a problem. This shit's too fucking long. Well, I mean, a lot of the performers that have to sit there in those floor seats, they're working tomorrow. Yeah. Or some of them this year, since the Hall of Fame has been, it used to be on Friday. Now it's back on Saturday. It is going to be on Saturday. Yeah, it's on Saturday. But when it was Friday, some of these performers actually had to work Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Or some of these performers had worked access matches earlier in the day and had to or sat at a autograph signing for multiple hours that day had to go home 
put on a tux, put on a dress, come out here, and time goes on and you're not out of there until midnight. And then you've got to get up and get ready for, oh, I don't know, the biggest stage of, you know, pro wrestling, the biggest stage in the world of pro wrestling. I mean, yeah. It's a little unfair to ask them to be there if you're not going to regulate guys and say, and look, I think that it's a lifetime honor and those guys earn the right to to say what they need to say. But even then, they got to have some mercy on the attendance, not only the wrestlers that are there, but the fans that are there and the fans that are at home, because it is brutal. <laughs> there are times in some speeches that are absolutely brutal. Now, the, the one we went to in Orlando, Beth Phoenix droned on and on and on and i just was like when will this end and then it's like oh let's bring out edge because he's your husband and then it's like oh god just go let's go let's go like yeah and then the the speech that we stuck around for kurt angle just didn't give me what i wanted yeah so it's yeah. but the the crazy the worst one we've ever seen is mr t's and Oh, my God. Well, they eventually had to cut him off he because never. he would have gone on. He would still be there talking to this day. So it was Kane had to come out and stop him. Yes. And even then, he almost kept talking. Yeah. If they're paid to be there, which I don't know that I'm sure the talent is probably paid to be there because the talent that they put in the Hall of Fame is paid to be there. So if you're paid to be there, I guess you should do what you're told, basically. But I certainly understand them wanting to keep the seats full. I was going to say, you look at that picture and there's like, what 300 seats and 50 to 60 people i mean is that a fair assumption there yeah well and this mean, is this is the main this is the goldberg speech is when this picture was taken from last year i mean it had been a long night so yeah i understand it but like i was telling you before we started recording again this is a rule that's not going to apply to everybody because then the rules never apply to everyone equally oh god no so like this year Batista's going to be at WrestleMania, taking on Triple H. He's not going to be at the Hall of Fame that night. And Triple H, if he wants to duck out early, he's going to be fine. Shawn Michaels, guys like that, that have carte blanche in the company, yeah, they can fucking leave. There's not going to be... And what... Are you... Like, what if you have... What if Ronda Rousey just gets up and leaves? What, are you going to do? Fire? Are you going to fire that night, Patrick? Are you going to fine her? That's a good idea. So there are some people, the top guys in the company, even with this new rule in place, they're just going to fucking leave because... Because they can. And yeah, get away Roman Reigns can stand up and fucking leave because what are you going to do? Fire a cancer survivor? Yeah, yeah that'll look good. Oh, because he got tired. <laughs> no. So this is not going to... You know what? I say put less fucking chairs down there. Expect less people to show up down there on the floor. Why don't you sell some of those to the fucking fans? That's See, I've been making that fucking argument. That right there would be the ultimate seat. And if you have, if you buy... Just put a barrier right there. That's you, all they have to do, right there. If you buy that ticket, if you buy that ticket as a fan, you have to dress up. Well, yeah. And you, because I mean, but that is... Because you'll be on camera. Right, but I feel I'm with you. I agree that that is something... We're talking like a $1,000 ticket or more. Yeah, all this is is them... Losing money. Yeah. These seats on the floor. Right. So instead of saying, okay, let's have 300 seats and you all got to sit through it. How about let's have 100 seats and we'll sell 200. Yeah. And make money. And guess what? Those people won't get up and leave because they spent $1,000. Yeah. And they probably get to keep the chair. Right. Or they're not allowed to leave. It might even come with a thing like where you say, by agreeing to purchase this, you have to dress up and you can't leave. 
Yeah. Because when you go to a TV taping, like I've been to like Stephen Colbert and Seth Meyers, once you're in there, you cannot get up. And if you do get up, you can get up during a commercial break. You can't come back. And that's just how TV works. So I would just sell that shit. I mean, I'm just, I'm surprised they haven't. Right. All they would have to do is put one little barrier up. I guess maybe they think that would look bad on TV, but fuck it, man. I'm making money. Well, if you have just... You could just have a little rope, just like a theater red rope. And and something along the lines of like a uh, one security down on his knee or something right there where no camera picks it up, but also just to prevent like fans from crossing. If I pay that much to get down there, I'm not going to cause any trouble. I think you price them so high that you're not going to get... That is true. You're not going to get Enzo Amore getting a chair down there. <laughs> I'm with you. And I think that is a hilarious thing. Uh, I think it sucks for them. I would hate that. I hate it when the companies that I work for just call regular work meetings. So I would hate to be told you got to come to the, like you got to come to the holiday party because that's what it seems like. It seems well, like yeah, you got to walk the carpet. Right, you got to do, do the red carpet interview. show. Yeah, you got to talk to Maria Menounos. So you got to walk the carpet. You got to do the interview. Then you got to sit there. Then the, you got to look happy. All yeah, you got to look interested. One year, Big Show was sitting in the crowd. He started vaping. <laughs> Because he was fucking bored. <laughs> so, I mean, and God forbid you have to get up and take a piss, you know, Lord. Yeah. And so this year they're going to have to sit through the Honky Tonk Man speech. I'm glad you brought that up. Honky Tonk Man. Yes. The Honky Tonk Man is going The in. guy that Elvis stole everything from. Uh, Elvis stole everything from this man. He is going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I am thrilled. Uh, you're not a big honky fan. I am a huge honky no, I think man he's, fan. He's fine. He's like another guy like Road Dog Jesse James or Dusty Rhodes or Road Dog Jesse James or The Godfather. Somebody who uses other things other than wrestling ability to make money. And there was a match he had with Dusty Rhodes, I think, at SummerSlam like 88 or something. Here are two guys that do not wrestle very well. But the crowd was in, so hot for this match because it was all because Dusty can't dance and sing and he wanted to prove the honky-tonk man wrong. And these two guys know about two wrestling moves between them and they're able to get the same kind of reaction that Mick Foley does diving on his knees or Sabu running into barbed wire and they can get the same reaction from doing nothing. Yeah. And that I have to sit back and respect. Yeah. I have to stand back and salute. Yes. Because while it's not always my cup of tea, especially with modern day comedy wrestling, like I was never like a Santino Morella fan. If you can do that, if you can make money, if you can draw, if you can sell merchandise by not punishing yourself and not working hard, well, then more power to you. Then I have to respect that. Yeah, And he had been offered the Hall of Fame back in, I think it was 2010, and turned it down because at that time they were not paying as much as he was doing some sort of comic convention. I'm not sure which one. And he said no to the WWE Hall of Fame because he was going to make more money going to the autograph signing. So they've either come up on money or his bookings have gone down. So he's (laughs) going to do it this year. But him and Rockabilly going in the same year, Patrick. It's true. It's true. I want to see if... And the real Double J, so we've got a big country music contingent here. I want to see if Rockabilly comes out. That would be awesome. And Jimmy Hart. So, I mean, if you have uh, the hammer there, you've got rhythm and blues. That's true. So... The hammer's already in the Hall of Fame, so... Yeah, he had a... I mean, 
Honky Tonk Man is going to be best remembered for his Intercontinental title run, which was sort of a fluke to begin with that he got it and that he had it for so long, and then he dropped it to Ultimate Warrior. It was when Steamboat decided he wanted to go home and spend time with his family. And I believe the wrestler he was supposed to drop it to, I think it was like Bad News Brown or somebody, like called in sick that day, or they couldn't find him. So Honky Tonk Man literally just stumbled into this belt and then kept it for a long time (laughs) and then dropped it to the Ultimate Warrior, and that was pretty much, that's pretty much what he's going to be remembered for is that one run with the belt because... He's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. And he'll tell you that, yes, in every single interview. Yeah, absolutely. And having DDP drive him out to the ring. That's right. Pink Cadillac Who's the only man that can say... DDP is my personal chauffeur. That's right. That's the honky-tonk man. And he is the cousin of Jerry the King Lawler, who does host the Hall of Fame typically, but so I don't think he'll be giving a speech, but a few years back they had a falling out of some sort. So I'm not... Honky and Jerry? Yeah. I think they're on better terms now, obviously. They're going to have to be on the same stage together. So Yeah. But I wonder who they'll pick to do honky-tonk man's speech. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I would love to see it be Jimmy Hart or But he's gonna have a speech later. Or Val Well, I mean, that's not nece- that that's not set in stone. Well, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but yeah. Ed Leslie is not set in stone. But you could actually see the barber go into the Hall of Fame this year. Well see, I think he should go in instead as uh the butcher or Zodiac. Zodiac, yes. Yeah, Zodiac needs a Hall of Fame induction, not Or or the disciple. Oh, the, the disciple, disciple yeah. yeah. One Warrior Nation. The yeah. second member of the One Warrior Nation. Yes. Lots of great choices. So, yeah, rumored to go in, joining Honky Tonk Man and DX. We had talked about the Hart Foundation, the original one, with Jim the Anvil and Jimmy Hart. And then rumored also to join them is Tori Wilson. Okay, whatever. And then, of course, we just mentioned Ed Leslie, the uh, the barber, Brutus the Beefcake Barber, which... Makes the biggest sense. the biggest moment in his career is when Shawn Michaels threw Marty through the wind, the window. That that is that's it. Standing in the background. Standing in the background. I would say WrestleMania nine when he or I mean he did headline a Starcade with Hogan. So you could say that is true. Starcade ninety four. That is true. But WrestleMania nine teaming with Hogan, I think, is actually probably. Oh yeah, that's I forgot about that match when he had the mask from his. Uh, his accident, accident. Yeah, his jet skiing accident or whatever it was parasailing it was parasailing so that it really fucked him up he he was lucky to have lived through that from what i've actually been told he was ahead of the uh time as far as uh face mask gimmicks he was yeah he was before undertaker and he was before uh cody rhodes and uh all those other guys that wore face masks trish trish when she had oh, her right. job. yeah uh yeah so you talked about batista being back um yes those fans in atlanta got treated to a what i thought was going to be a really well bookended raw because they got the return of roman reigns to begin the night which is astounding to me i'm not a cancer truther that i've seen on twitter that said it was all work or whatever but it is pretty unbelievable to me that you can go out say i have leukemia in october and you are back in february that is fucking nuts to me yeah. And the leukemia, yeah. there's a Leukemia Foundation in the United Kingdom that tweeted out some of the responses to some of the questions that a lot of people had, like that I had, for instance, like, 
how does he still have all of his hair? How does he, how is he back already? What is this? And they answered a lot of those questions in there, but it's just still shocking to me. Like, really, they did. I would love to see those questions. Yeah, they addressed like, why didn't he lose his muscle mass? Why didn't he lose his hair? There's different types of leukemia, and they went into some of those specifics on there, and that kind of helped settle my curiosity just because it's a really crazy thing for me. I've never known anybody that had leukemia. I've known people that have had cancer, but I've never known anyone that had leukemia, so I can't comment on personal experience from that. But the people that I've known that have had cancer, when they come back, they look like they've been through a fucking war. Yeah. They do not look like Roman Reigns. And so that was, I was, I'm just, I'm still astonished by this. And also that he... Not only came back that night, but also got involved in the ring with physicality. Because I thought he could come back and say that he's in remission, but that was going to be it. But it looks like they are going full speed ahead with a shield reunion for Fastlane. And that's with Seth Rollins is currently dealing with an injury, so he might be limited in the match. But it looks like he's going to be back this Sunday from when we're recording, which is just nuts to me. (sighs) It, did they rush it along maybe just strictly for this last Shield reunion type thing? Because of Dean leaving. Yeah, I think that's... Well, I don't think they rushed him back, but I think that they're rushing this Shield reunion because, I mean, Dean Ambrose had that huge heel turn about Roman Reigns, and then they just... As soon as he said he was leaving, they put the brakes on that. Now he's a face, and they came out on Raw to help him on Monday. So it definitely looks like they're just trying to cash out before Dean... It's the road so that they get one shield reunion. And I don't understand why he's leaving. I, I really don't. That's the one asked release thus far that I'm sitting there going. I mean, I get it, dude. He is going to be, he's going to do great. On oh, he's TV. high. He's going to be highly sought after. Yeah. On the market. But I'm still, I'm still blown away as to why. Cause it's not like he was working the start of the show or anything like that. He had, I mean, he had some really, he was in prominent positions, but as I mentioned, probably two months ago on this podcast, that he's really put on a lot of stinkers in the ring. And I don't know if that's him not being motivated and his frustrations with creative and his just frustrations with the company. He's never liked scripted promos. I mean, he said that on the Austin podcast, but he's also not delivered on his end. And yeah, it is kind of, Strange that if your wife worked for the company that you're going to say, I want to leave because it makes me think, is she leaving? She just re-upped her contract. So she's there for another, I think, two years at least. But that could be down the road. I mean, she would be sought after by an ESPN or somebody like that who actually wants, if she wants to get out of wrestling altogether. Yeah. Yeah. So they're rushing the Shield reunion. So the Atlanta crowd on Monday... State Farm Arena got to see the return of Roman Reigns, but the night was supposed to be for Ric Flair and his birthday party. And a night that I was looking forward to and thought was going to be awesome. Yeah, and I figured it would only be a one segment thing, which is what it was. They had some videos that like Stone Cold sent in a video, Snoop Dogg sent in a video saying happy birthday or whatever that they would air throughout the show. They would show a red carpet, and you'd see Sting walk through and Steamboat and all these guys. But I figured it would only be one segment of the show. I actually thought it was going to be background fodder for Becky and Charlotte, basically. I, right. she Becky was arrested, unfortunately, earlier in the night. So <laughs> a problem that happens when they do TV on Mondays in Atlanta, a lot of people get arrested. Atlanta uh, and Chattanooga for some reason. Yeah, we're not good to... Uh, 
the top baby face. You usually get arrested when you come through here. I thought it was going to be background for that, but then they totally swerved me, and the rumor had been out on Monday that Batista was going to be there, and sure enough, he was, and they did this. So they gathered everyone in the ring, they brought all the legends down, and then Hunter unveils Big Goldie to give to Rick, which I thought, you know, he probably has about a million of those. But this was cool with the engravings on the sides. And it was all the dates of his title. Yeah, it was very, it was very interesting. Well, but I thought, what a shitty gift. I mean, this guy doesn't need a big gold belt. This guy has a million big gold belts. Uh, and so then Batista interrupts the proceedings as magically, Patrick, he got the director backstage to somehow punch up a camera showing him dragging another cameraman into Ric Flair's dressing room, which he had already apparently gone to earlier, beat up Ric Flair, then dragged Ric Flair out with Ric Flair holding his shirt so he wouldn't get choked as he was being drugged out. And he drug him out. I mean, he dragged him out of the room. Yes. Dead weight dragged him out. And it, yes. And then he screamed into the camera, do I have your attention, Hunter? Do I have your attention? Now, all the other wrestlers out there on the stage were completely uh, goofballs here, dorks and cowards, because uh, only Hunter Hearst Helmsley had the courage to run back there to try to save Rick or fight Batista oh, yeah. off. Everyone else was frozen in fear, Patrick. So... Hunter runs back there, and uh, Batista had split the scene. and So we didn't get a Ric Flair birthday party, and they didn't even do one after the show went off the air. Jinder Mahal came out and got an Olympic slam through the cake, so they didn't even bring Rick out at the end of the night. Really? So pretty disappointing. Jinder Mahal got an Olympic slam through the cake. That's what they did, yeah. Because Angle was one of the people in the ring. They let two people hit him. Like, they won't let... Steamboat or Sting do any physicality. So they were the other two legends in the ring with Shawn Michaels and Angle. And so Jinder Mahal came down and said, well, since Rick's not going to make his party, I'll take it over. And he gets a super kick and then an Olympic slam through the cake. So That cake looked beautiful, by the way. I think it wasn't even a real cake because from the video I saw of him taking this Olympic slam, the cake didn't seem to like explode. Really? Yeah, so it might have been a little too perfect. So that's what they did. So if you went to Atlanta hoping to see Ric Flair, you got totally fucked over. But you did I mean, get. He a, does live in the town, so. But you uh, did get to see some other cool stuff. So, uh, you know another return, a return that happened the very next night. That's the return of Matt Hardy. They were in Charlotte for SmackDown on Tuesday after Raw on Monday, and decided to without announcement, without any kind of hype behind it. Matt Hardy showed back up with Jeff and was just, they were the Hardy boys again. He was not woken or broken and he was in great physical condition. Yeah, I guess he'd been hitting the Ico Pro pretty hard since he had been uh, on the shelf. And yeah, they reunited the Hardy boys. So Charlotte got treated to a special return. I mentioned to you that I really don't like the tag team divisions on the shows right now. So this is some good news for the tag team division to have another face tag team. But it also makes me think that I'm not sure about their contract status, but maybe their contracts are coming to an end and they want to have this one last nostalgia run because it would have, it would be two years from Mania. And if they got a two-year deal, then this could be their last hurrah, at least Matt's. Uh, I think they would see maybe re-signing Jeff. But this, I think Matt could get re-signed too. There was no mention of uh, his former tag team partner, Bray Wyatt, and how this guy is just totally 
disappeared from the face of the earth. Also, no explanation how he got from Raw to SmackDown, which they seem to totally abandon any explanation of how people move from show to show. But yeah, the uh, the Hardy Boys are back for the time being, at least for another couple of uh, months. Which I think is awesome. You know another thing I think is awesome? The announce of Jack Swagger's second fight. He will be taking on TJ Jones. Another TJ, by the way. TJ Jones. And this man, who I knew nothing about. You looked up. He's only had two fights. One win, one loss in four years. Yeah, by the time he gets in the cage with uh, Jake Hager, Jack Swagger, it will be four years since his first fight and almost two years since his second fight. And his picture on tapology.com, this guy looks like... He is one fat, out-of-shape motherfucker. Yeah, it basically looks like if you just decided one day, hey, I'm going to go be an MMA fighter today with no training, uh, no conditioning... He's only 29 years old, so he's younger than Jack Swagger. He's younger than me. But he just, and he, he weighs in at 265, so he's going to have to basically cut to make the weight limit, where Jack Swagger uh, is billed at 238. So, but their reach advantage is basically the same, and their height, well, Swagger's got the advantage on height. He's 6'5", and this guy's only 6'2". So he's, I mean. Dude, this guy's shorter than me. They're going to keep a good thing going with Jake Hager and keep giving him guys that he can beat and get him some confidence and get him to where they can finally make a match with a, with a guy with a name where you can say, wow, this is, if he beats this guy, then yeah, he's really impressive. But I think we're a couple years away from that. You're not selling Bellator. Isn't selling their events based on Jack Swagger's fights. They have upper cards. So, but I mean, it still, it still makes wrestling fans stop and talk. It even got the attention. His last fight even got WWE tweeting out congratulations and trying to latch on to that success. So yeah. it's beneficial to Jack Swagger's career and uh, pro wrestling because, I mean, I think it helps quiet a lot of people that say they just do the fake shit and stuff, and then you get a guy that goes in there that can really beat people up. And that kind of helps the perception that not everybody is... Enzo Amore, you know, there are actual athletes that go in there. So yeah. talking about athletes, real athletes, amateur background, true athletes. Uh, congratulations personally to a, a friend of mine that I have great respect for in Dory Funk Jr. for winning the Luthes Award from the Cauliflower Alley Club, an, an award that is given to someone who we looked up the credibility of it it's something that is a very high accolade you had to have been a involved in a amateur wrestling background you had to have also been involved as either a manager or backstage hand you had to have been involved in running and promoting your own show as well as having a successful wrestling career this is a this is something that rarely few people are actually able to do. I mean, Dory Funk Jr., who was able to run his own shows, who was a former NWA champion, just past his fifty year mark. We talked about from winning the NWA title uh, just a week or two ago. Uh, something that me and you spent a lot of time discussing. I I feel like this is a huge honor, 
and something that's very credible towards this this individual. Honors that actually have a list of credentials that have some sort of process of how they are selected and stuff, to me, carry more weight than a WWE Hall of Fame induction because, as we've mentioned, there are no guidelines. There is no list of requirements that gets you in. So any organization that actually comes up with a list of requirements and then you meet these requirements and then we give out one a year and it's not just at random, I think it carries more weight than a WWE Hall of Fame induction. But he already has that, so it's just another one to add to the mantle of uh, the funk, the funkers. Both Dory and Terry had very successful careers and... The only brothers to hold the NWA title. Both of them were able to basically blaze a trail and show older wrestlers how to extend their careers by doing hardcore matches or doing plunder matches and doing different things to extend your wrestling career. Knowing to when to accept your role that I'm going to be losing a lot, but it doesn't matter because it's good for the business. If I can help draw two people to the arena, then I've made a contribution. So, yeah. I give them a lot of, as far as being trailblazers, as far as setting a template on how older wrestlers should behave and act, unlike Hulk Hogan's and Ultimate Warriors and people like that who had no time for the the wrestlers coming up, who they saw well, yeah, as... Yeah, who's not going to take the... They saw them as a threat where Terry Funk saw wrestlers that came up as the future, and he realized, well, I won't have a place to wrestle unless they're wrestling. So someone who's not afraid to to take the loss and realize that it's, you know, it's better for the business where a lot of guys aren't willing to take the uh take the fall, you know. Yeah, guys like Shawn Michaels in the late 90s who just did not want to take the fall for many people and uh <laughs> it felt like he had taken the fall enough and that was going to be the end of it and he was just going to be like Triple H in the mid 2000s and just Never lose, and that was going to be the way it is, and you guys can just deal with it because they're running the show, and that is why we revisited Degeneration X pay-per-view, the In Your House from December 7th, 1997, 12 December 7th, Pearl Harbor. They had a callback to the military. In a, a, books. a boot camp match. A boot camp match which had nothing to do with boot camps. It was... If this was announced today, Patrick, they would have tires out there. They would do push-ups. They would be yelled at by drill instructors. They would have a whole thing. But no, in 1997, when the WWF was still getting its ass pretty much handed to it by WCW, their idea for a boot camp match was just, uh, just a hardcore match. And the referee's not in the ring. Except to slide in for a one-two. That's just smart to me. <laughs> That's how it should pretty much always be. Springfield, Mass. At the Springfield Civic Center in front of 6,358 people. Wow, what a crowd. This ECW almost outdrew the WWF here in 1997. That's pretty sad. That's huge. Huge. Great crowd. Survivor Series Gang Rules 97. Of course, there was that thing in Montreal and Bret Hart and Sean and Mr. McMahon and all that stuff. We've, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, we've already talked about that. But this was before Starcade 97, which was December 28th. So this was before WCW totally shit the bed with their big show of the year. And uh, this was the WWF's offering. 
which, again, this is a pay-per-view between two major pay-per-views, so not a lot really expected of this one to begin with because you're going into Rumble and then Mania, and this is just nothing. This is just, let's sell a pay-per-view. Shawn Michaels' last match as a old-school style wrestler before he breaks his back next month. I feel like that's a side note. Yeah, he did a couple moves here that I haven't seen him do since. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was much more limber and willing to do planches and stuff like that to the outside that he... I mean, he still did some of that, but not... I mean, not, I think he did like free, two or three. Yeah, not as free will as he, as he did here. So tonight, the showstopper, the main eventer will battle Ken Shamrock for the WWF title on a pay-per-view named after his own faction. I wonder who's going to win here. I'm going with Ken Shamrock. Triple H will be battling Sergeant Slaughter, that's right, in 1997. Sergeant Slaughter. He broke out the army boots. He's lacing them up, and we're going to boot camp. Yes, Commissioner Slaughter, who, as a commissioner, you're supposed to be impartial and fair. You can't be interjecting yourself into storylines like this. So, not a very good job here. Falling in the footsteps of great commissioners slash presidents like Jack Tunney, who never knew how to not stick their nose in the wrestler's business. Now, this opening montage here was kind of weird because, you know, they call Triple H and then the woman with the sexy voice would come on and say, Triple X, and they would just, sexy boy, and just, this was just Hunter and Sean being uh, worshipped here in the opening segment of this video. Karate Fighters. Yes, they sponsored a few pay-per-views in 97. They did. And Karate Fighters is presenting DX in your house. We're at the Springfield Civic Center. Lawler and JR are the commentary team for tonight. This is why you picked it. It's Jeff Jarrett's return to the ring happening tonight. His return to the WWF after failing to join the Four Horsemen in WCW. Decided to tuck his tail back in and come crawling back home to WWF. You know, his style has never been that great, but tonight his style was way off in that singlet that he decided to wear. And his haircut, by the way. His mulleted, his ponytail, whatever he was doing. There was a lot going on with uh, Jeff Jarrett's look here in December of 1997. He had also gotten off to a bad start because on television he was introduced cutting a promo on Stone Cold Steve Austin which immediately made him hated by fans because how dare you come in here and tell us that Stone Cold Steve Austin is blasphemous and bad for us. Like, fuck you, man. Which is great. I mean, it's good heat. It's good heat if you're going somewhere as a... Like, you can't... That can't be your opening line. You can't just say, hi, hi, everybody, my name's Jeff, and your top baby face is bad, and if you like him, you're bad too. As soon as that... Like, he was dead in the water as soon as he came out of the gate. Like, you have to work your way up to be able to say... Like, The Rock saying that a couple years into their feud, okay, sure, go for it. (laughs) Jeff Jarrett coming out of the gate from WCW? No. You shut your fucking mouth, pal. He's going to take on The Undertaker tonight in his debut match, which I thought that was... uh, One thing very evident by tonight, they did not have a lot of baby faces to go to. That's why Sergeant Slaughter is in your co-main event, basically. They have nobody. Austin is it. Austin and Taker's kind of uh, feuding with his brother right now. So who else? Ken Shamrock is your WWF title challenger. And I mean, I think Mankind Mankind was still, still a heel at this time. He was off TV, I guess. I don't know what he was up to, but he wasn't here tonight. So 
Yeah. They had a real problem with uh, baby faces. Tito Santana and Carlos Cabrero are on the Arriba. Spanish table. And the French team is Jean Bassard and Ray Rougeau. We're going to kick things off by crowning the, not first ever, but the light heavyweight champion. The finals of the tournament. And what a pool of talent this tournament had in it, man. Oh, Aguila, Scott Taylor. They had everybody. A who's who of light heavyweight. A feeble attempt to try to cash in on the cruiserweight rage happening in WCW. Which, I mean, Taka Mishinoku is a very good wrestler, but you have to surround him with talent of equal value. And they just never, never did. Still to this day having trouble with the cruiserweights in 2019. It's the finals of the tournament. It's Brian Christopher taking on Taka Mishinoku. And so JR and King empty out your, hey, that's your son joke book, because that's what they would be doing here tonight. Brian Christopher wipes his ass with a Taka Mishinoku sign that is also a Japanese flag. So he took a page out of Shawn Michaels' playbook from the Canada feud and uh, did some bad things to the Japanese flag here on the day of Pearl Harbor, by the way. Which is great. (laughs) We get a scoop slam and an arm drag from Brian Christopher. The fans chant Jerry's kid. Lawler just keeps talking about how small Taka is, despite him and Brian being about the same height. Well, Jerry's Jerry's kids, I thought that was a telethon. I didn't think that that was... Taka lands on his feet after a German suplex attempt, and Dex Christopher with drop kicks, takes Brian out of the ring, hits a springboard plancha. Brian tries a plancha out to the ringside area, but lands on the guardrail, chin first, and bites his tongue or lip. Ouch. Holy shit. This was before the padded black guardrails that we're accustomed to today. This was just a regular guardrail and somehow ended up chin first on this thing. He wasn't expecting that. Well, he didn't get enough air, I think, to hit the sternum. So he, I don't know, but holy shit, he smacked it hard. Ouch. Yeah. I mean, he's bleeding enough from the mouth that he gets some blood on Taka, which is... That must have hurt like hell. Like, Oh, yeah. I hate any time I accidentally bite my tongue or anything like that. Or so. bite your lip? Yeah. Oh, man. So Brian gets back in the ring and ducks a crossbody. Taka hits a DDT and a Hurricane Rana, and Brian bails outside where Taka lands an acai moonsault. Lawler gets up from the announce table and goes to check on his son. So nice here. Father and son bonding here. Taka dropkicks Brian off the apron, but Jerry picks him up and rolls him back into the ring, which... I kind of thought it was kind of mean. Like, hey, give him at least nine seconds, Jerry, before you roll him back in. He's like, get in there. So he had no time to recover. Brian then uses the Miz's skull-crushing finale to Taka Mishinoku, but it only gets a near fall. Brian lands a nasty missile dropkick to the back of Taka's head, which, I mean, this dude's head snapped almost as bad as Brian's did on the guardrail. Brian then goes on offense for a bit with some big right hands, He does the crane kick pose right out of Karate Kid. More great Japanese uh, culture here referenced. But he never does a crane kick. Instead, he does a German suplex and dumps Taka on his head. We get a scoop slam and Brian goes for his Tennessee jam, but he misses. Taka hits a Mishinoku driver and is our inaugural light heavyweight champion. Well, this incarnation of it. In 1997, the Stooges come out to give him the belt and... Japanese racist photographers get in the ring to take his picture. And those, those racist photographers. Well, it's a common stereotype of Asians that they take pictures. If you go back to WrestleMania 9, 
Todd Pettengill is in the crowd and he interviews Japanese tourists in quotation marks and he says, so what do you think about WrestleMania? And they go, ah, Yokozuna number one, America number one and take pictures. And so, and Sonny Ono with the camera, this is a common trope. And so naturally, Taka wins the, the belt. The king of selfies, the very first selfie man. Was, yeah. Was Sonny Ono. I'm sure it was actual newsworthy photographers, though. Well, probably for, yeah, I mean. For Japan newspapers and things like that. Yeah, Japanese months. wrestling culture in the late 90s still treated wrestling as a sport. They kept kayfabe alive in Japan for a long time and would treat it like sport. And so they would actually put it in the paper and stuff. So. You may be right. It might have actually been Japanese press, but in my mind, I just think uh, they just wanted Japanese photographers. Anytime Vince gets a chance for Japanese photographers, he takes it. Even though now photographers are banned at ringside. No, no photographers at all. Thank God. I liked them. I liked them, not Japanese photographers in particular, but I, I, I didn't mind it on Nitro and stuff to see photographers slide under the ring rope to take a picture every now and then. Why? I just thought it it made it seem cool. I don't know. I think they got in the way though. They I don't really recall a moment where they the the cameramen got in the way, but the photographers always seem to know how to get out of the way. Uh this match, uh way too much of Taka taking offense here. Not a very good debut well, as far as Brian Brian, however, I mean come on. He was doing good till he busted his mouth wide open, and he is pouring blood, by the way. No, he did fine, but compared to what you would see on a regular episode of Monday Nitro, this was not in the same universe as that. And so we're not off to a good start with this new title belt, in my opinion. So, And it, also that this the finals took place on an in-your-house pay-per-view instead of at a WrestleMania or something like that. Yeah. So this is just like a footnote in history, basically. We... See some replays of the finish and dissolve right into the next match. So something was cut out here on the WWE Network version. As the Los Bariquas are coming out, last week on Raw, all the gangs, including the DOA, the Truth Commission, and the Los Bariquas ended up battling. As it's it's all about joining a gang, Patrick. I, I liked the Truth Commission. I thought, but you know... Be square. It was very... the The gangs back then... It was you had your bikers, you had your, you had your your, uh, Cuban gang, your Cuban drug lords. They were all very ethnic. Yeah, uh, it was very, it was very typical racial, typical profiling gangs. I mean, that's really the only way to put it. It wasn't even a faction of multiple different guys. It was grouped together. You know, the Truth Commission as the... Uh, They're like a cult, almost. A soldier cult. Oh, yeah. yeah, a militia. Yeah. Except they wore berets, which never made any sense to me. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're green berets. Yeah, they, they didn't stick around long, the Truth Commission. So, DOA is out on their Titan bikes. Crush is not out with DOA, because I think he was on his way to WCW on his motorcycle. So, no Crush with DOA. Adams left the WWF in the fall of 97, partially in protest of the Montreal Screwjob. His absence was explained by a storyline injury, sustained by Kane, of course, on the November 24th episode of Raw, and then his final appearance with the company would be on November 29th on Shotgun Saturday Night, and wouldn't be back with this company until Chronic had that match 
after WCW had folded during the invasion. Chronic versus Bod. So there you go. Crush. Chronic. <laughs> so yeah, this probably would have been a four-on-four match here, but it's a three-on-three instead. Tim White says Savio Vega has to get the fuck out of here, so he just does. Always nice to see the wrestlers listen to the refs. Chains starts against Miguel, who is very hairy. He is a very hairy Dude, man. Holy shit. This is George the Animal still on steroids. Jose Estrada then comes into the match and Skull lands a knee to the back of his head. Skull then hits a sidewalk slam to Jose Estrada. Eight Ball comes back into the ring and lands a swinging neck breaker. Then Jose and Miguel beat down Eight Ball. Miguel scoop slams Eight Ball and hits a standing moonsault, which I thought was impressive from this very hairy man. Miguel tried to come off the top rope and sells a leg injury. Uh oh, he blew out his leg. The Bariquas are distracted by his injury and keep going to check on him. So Savio, not understanding how rules work, comes down and tries to join the match. Says, oh, that guy's hurt. Let me He's tag him. He's filling in for him, you know? That's what the Freebirds did it. You know, everybody's done it, so... Tim White won't let him. He actually stands his ground here. That horrible referee. Jesus runs his shoulder into the post, and Chains hits a Death Valley driver on him, but Miguel runs in and hits a 360-degree leg drop. Oh, you see, he was faking his leg injury the whole time. Hits it to the back of Chains' head and rolls Jose over on top of Chains and the Bariquas get the win and as much as i was shitting on jeff jarrett's ring attire i believe it was uh jesus's uh cargo pants here in the los bariquas oh man tucking in your your uh sleeveless shirt into your cargo pants not a good look patrick uh the bariquas needed some help so when savio vega is your best dressed member we have problems in the los bariquas (laughs) uh this match stunk oh Uh, terrible should have been cut had to fill time i mean they could have given this match a little more time than they gave Hunter and Sergeant Slaughter because that match felt like an eternity. That match felt like it would never end. I enjoyed that. Time stood still. Of course you did because there was an old wrestler in it. There's never a match we review that an old wrestler's in that you say, I don't like that. Oh, it's because Sergeant Slaughter's in it. It's great. Five stars. I wouldn't give five stars now. <laughs> we go backstage to Doc Hendricks with Butterbean and his trainers. Butterbean, who had fought the night before... On a pay-per-view, oh, Oscar De La Hoya had yeah. a boxing card the night before, and Butterbean was on the undercard. So this guy is working back-to-back nights here. Sable there to uh, be at ringside. Which made no fucking sense, by the way. With I, Butterbean. I was livid that they showed this picture. Do they not understand how wrestling works? <laughs> so they show a still frame in the build-up to this match of Sable in Butterbean's corner last night. Now, that's all fair and good if that would have come up in the match. At yeah. some point. It had well, the whole thing started because Butterbean was, he, he did not like the way Mero was treating her. Yeah, Mark Mero hates women, especially his wife. And so he sends her flowers and he's trying to cheer her up and Mero got pissed. And so I'm all for the understanding of, of the fact that, you know, he's trying to reach out to her, but she is a married woman. So you never get nowhere, but I'm with you. The fact that she's there in the ring Holding his title. Holding his title. And they show a still frame shot of it from last night. Makes zero sense to this match. Yeah, if they came back to it in this match, I'd have no problem with it. It would make sense if she interfered on Butterbean's behalf or something. Well, it makes me think, like, you could storyline that, like, maybe she was caught. She didn't know which one to fall in love with or go with, you know. 
But they, fuck it. They didn't even go there. Like, no. there was nothing. Butterbean, despite being a professional boxer, has no promo skills, as we find out, as Doc Hendricks <laughs> goes to ask him about it, and he just totally blows his promo and says, nah, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time, Butterbean. We go to Michael Cole with Sable, and we show the highlights of Mark Merrow's boxing gimmick, which was rather new at the time. And then, yeah, the picture of Sable holding up Butterbean's title last night. She says she'll be in the corner of her husband, and then Mark Merrill interrupts and says, he's the star of the show, and he's going to destroy that fat tub of crap, Butterbean. If he had only known what Butterbean was capable of against Bart Gunn in a, in a year or so, he wouldn't have said anything like that. All right, thank you, JR. As you can see, Butterbean is more than ready for competition. He's flanked by his manager, Art Door, his trainer, former IBF super middleweight champion, Murray Sutherland. And I got to say, you're going to make pay-per-view history here. Last night, you competed successfully on a pay-per-view. 24, less than 24 hours later, now you take on marvelous Mark Murrow. And that should be commended. But I got to ask you, do you really think you're 100% at this point? You know, Doc, even if I wasn't 100%, my adrenaline's going to push me through it. Last night was just a warm-up. Mark Miro's got his hands full tonight. The way he treats Sable, I'm ready to... I, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, just go out and get him, and I'm going to take it over to my broadcast colleague, Michael Cole. Good luck. Well, Doc, I'm here with the lovely Sable. Plenty to talk about with Sable this evening. She was in Atlantic City for a Butterbean boxing match last night. He was on the undercard of the Oscar De La Hoya fight. And we will get to Sable in just a few moments. But first, we're going to take a special look at this young rivalry between marvelous Mark Miro and Butterbean. Let's take a look. Who have you ever beaten? Some truck drivers? Some unemployed steel workers? I'm a five-time New York State Golden Club champion. You beat nobody. No doubt Merrill was a great boxing champion then. But how will the marvelous one counter in a four-round tough man contest now? One of those is the... Oh, wow. Stinging you see how quick these hands are? Looks those are some it. quick hands, I'll guarantee you that. Uh, hope, hope you don't miss. Be, uh, I am the greatest wrestler, boxer, in the history of professional sports, and in your house, I'm going to knock you out. You are a nobody. You beat nobody. I can knock you out in four rounds or less. Sable, as we mentioned, you were in Atlantic City last night. You were a, uh, obviously uh, holding up the, the belt, the championship belt for the Butterbean boxing match. Now, uh, people want to know, they want to know uh, where your heart is. They want to know whose corner you will be in tonight. Will it be Butterbean's or marvelous Mark Miro's? Well, Michael, my heart is definitely in the right place. It is definitely with Mark. I mean, Marvelous Mark. So you will be in Marvelous Mark. Did, did I give you permission to do this interview? Did I even say you could speak? No. This is my moment. This is about me. I've been telling you I'm the star of the show and stop trying to steal my spotlight because I'm going to go out there and knock out Butterbean. I'm going to go out there and destroy that fat, tub of crap and I'm gonna do it right now marvelous Mark Miro and Sable will be in his corner it's a four-round tough man fight next and it's just a boxing match or so we think the ref lets a lot of stuff go here Patrick not a very good job no Miro's out first and holds up a Sable who sign the rounds are two minutes Butterbean is out next when the round begins Miro just runs from Butterbean 
And the crowd chants for Sable. They don't care about Mark Merrow at all. Neither do I. Butterbean then clocks Merrow with a right that sends Merrow out of the ring, which would have been the end of the fight in real boxing. You cannot go out of the ring in boxing. Why is that? It's considered a TKO. It's ver- it's a version of a knockout, basically. You're not Te- a technical knockout. Yeah, you're not allowed to leave or get knocked out of the ring. I mean, it makes sense. I understand they're they're. I, is it because like the thumb is attached to the glove that they can't grab the rope? Because later in this bout, you see them break, like cut that portion that portion of Marrow's glove. Oh, I didn't see that. Really? <laughs> That's interesting. You didn't. See oh, that? well, that was so he could give the thumb to the eye. I think is the reason they did that. Yeah. yeah. Uh that's a good catch on your part. I didn't notice that. So, Marrow then comes back into the ring, and when he strikes Butterbean, he is so gentle. This man <laughs> is just so gentle with his punches. Like, I've seen wrestling matches with better worked punches than this. I mean, I've seen Shane McMahon maybe throw better punches than this. No, not really, but, uh, yeah, Mark Marrow, super light punching here. And the bell rings. Round one comes to a close, and right in front of the ref and everybody, Marrow just decks Butterbean in the back of the head. Which yeah. would have caught that would have been the end of the fight, or yeah. at least a point taken off the store scorecards and a warning at the yeah. very least. Right. Nope, no big deal. Round two, the bell rings, and Marrow hits a running knee to Butterbean <laughs> and then takes the tape off his glove and starts choking him with it. And this is all okay too. Marrow gets a few kidney shots in, which is also illegal in boxing, and Butterbean sells a thumb to the eye, which you said they cut his thumb out of his glove just so he could do this. So they sort of throw wild punches and then it's time up as the bell rings again. And this time he just drop kicks Butterbean in the back of the head. No, (laughs) again, no admonishment from the referee or anybody. This is fine. They never announced a scoring table for this too. So I would have been curious to know what would have happened had they gone the distance. They throw up a scorecard uh, statistic though and claim that Merrill landed more strikes, which is bullshit, but okay. Round three starts. Butterbean no-sells Marrow's offense in the third round. He's tired of playing games. Then he lands some body strikes. Then we get a combo from Butterbean, and Butterbean winds up and throws a big fucking three stooges uppercut uh, knockout punch to Marrow. Instead of letting Marrow just pass out, Butterbean goes and grabs water and dumps water on him, cold water, to wake him up. What was his spit bucket? Oh, gross. He spit a lot then. <laughs> Round four begins, and an overhand right takes Merrill down. But instead of staying down, Merrill low blows Butterbean and decks him with a stool. And then this is enough to finally say, you know what? You're just not playing fair. He broke the stool over Butterbean's back. And the match is thrown out, and Merrill just takes off to the back. Sable, for all her involvement, did nothing in either man's corner she should have gotten the ring at least raised butterbean's hand that's it no she needed to stay with Mero for their big moment at wrestlemania so she could do the power bomb to luna vachon and that's true help out the husband she hates win a match <laughs> this sucked uh this was awful it was our first introduction of butterbean in the wwf he would return don't worry have no fear and then he would also return in the jackass movie and uh, have some scenes with Johnny Knoxville, I believe, boxing in a, a department store. Knocked the fuck out of Johnny Knoxville. And I think he was on the uh, the Jackass show as well, so he was in both. Butterbean's not a man to mess with. He's a very tough man. No, he's done MMA fights. He's always, for a dude that, for just a big, burly dude, 
a brawler with no actual like finesse. He's had a long career. He has. And, uh, he's made a lot of money. He, I, I put him in there with Kimbo Slice. That's a very good comparison. Two guys that got a lot of money without any real formal training of any sort. Just right. Big tough guys. Yeah. So this match sucked. It was awful. I wish I wish it was a shoot fight and Butterbean just knocked him out in 10 <laughs> seconds like he did with Bart Gunn, but I didn't get my wish. And the Sable involvement had nothing. It was just, this was bad. This was really fucking bad. What did you think of this tough man challenge? I like that they did it. However, I'm with you. This was terrible. Well, I can't believe they saw this and then went ahead with the Brawl for All. In the coming year, that just hell. The brawl for all was better than this. Oh yes, <laughs> that brawl. says a lot because the brawl for all was pretty fucking terrible at times. So pretty... I want to go back and watch the full tournament of the brawl for all. Where does it? There's it, a YouTube on the cut. Network? I think there's a YouTube supercut of like all of them. I think just spliced together. Yeah, but is it on the network where you can find them all? I bet if you search brawl for all, it comes up. I've got the network pulled up here. Uh, all brawl. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, when you search for Brawl for All in the uh, the search results in the network, you get uh, Fall Brawl. Uh, so the individual matches aren't easy to find, but you can look up the individual Raws they're on, and they'll be on there. What if what if you put in Butterbean? This match and his match against Bart Gunn will be on there, I'm sure. Finish of Bart Gunn versus Butterbean. Well, that's basically the beginning. <laughs> I can't believe there's two bookmarks. Uh, he apparently interfered in a Marrow match against Jerry Lawler. So, okay. but that's it. Like, yeah. it doesn't show any brawl for all other undercard stuff with him. Well, he was never actually in the brawl for all tournament. I thought he was. No, he never actually did the brawl for all tournament. The winner of the brawl for all tournament got, and they originally the brawl for all tournament was not even designed for Bart Gunn to win it. They would designed it for Doctor Death Steve Williams to win it, and then get in a program against Steve Austin. That was their grand idea. Whoever's idea it was at the time. And so when Dr. Dust Steve Williams lost, they were like, oh, fuck. Well, now our plan is totally fucked here because we can't go back and change it. And so Bart Gunn ended up winning it. And and so his prize was to then get like five months off to come back for a WrestleMania brawl for all fight against Butterbean where he got KTFO'd in 10 seconds. So <laughs> He did, man. He got knocked the fuck out. <laughs> to his credit, he did get up after the first his one. His head was... Oh, he... <laughs> there was no way he knew where he was or, or what was going on whenever that trainer picked him back up. It's either Creed or Rocky, one of the movies. I think it's Creed, the first Creed movie. Uh, Creed's eye is so swollen up that the cut man, that when the ref is showing him the fingers, he taps on the back of his neck to tell him how many How fingers. many, yeah. And uh, Bart Gunn wouldn't have been able to do that <laughs> from the first one. And yet they were like, you're good to go, you're good to go. And he's like, yeah. And he just, pow! Yeah, good! Boom! Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Oh, man, it was brutal. I still love to watch that match, though. Jim Ross, in particular, probably took a sick likeness to that because Bart Gunn like cut a shoot promo on him after he won his brawl for all match against Dr. Death and was like, was that your boy? That was your boy. You see where your boy is? I just knocked him out or whatever. And like, cause the he, Bart Gunn, the company had given up on him and Jim Ross was the head of talent relations. And so I think he blamed Jr. for not having anywhere to go on right. the roster. So I'm sure Jr. was just delighted when Butterbean just knocked him out in 10 seconds. Cause <laughs> takes care of that problem. Very odd segment is next. A segment which 
I don't even think would make it on to Raw, to be honest. Luna and the artist formerly known as Goldust are out. This is when Goldust was doing the BDSM stuff. He was the, the sex slave of Luna Vachon. And so he was on a leash and he had F.U. written on his face. Forever unchained. Right. Even though he was on a chain, basically. So it was kind of misleading. Was he was forever, on a leash. Forever unmarried. <laughs> yeah, well, Terry Runnels had broken his heart. So he comes out with Luna and Goldust decides to read Sam I Am. No Molly Ringwall, kid. Maybe Goldust is, if you will. This, this is a little ditty that I wrote when I was a child. I would, uh, I would like to share it with you all. Y'all can shut up for a minute. A little ditty? Did he say? It goes something like this. I am Sam. I am Sam. Sam, I am. I'm sorry, Dr. Zeus. That Sam I am, that Sam I am, I do not like that Sam I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? You say he wrote this? I don't think so. I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I think Dr. Seuss is happy I would this not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Shut the hell up! That's the part he wrote. Yeah, we apologize for that. Would you like him in a house? Would you like him with a mouse? I do not like him in a house. I do not like him with a mouse. I do not like him here or there. I do not like him anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like him, Sam I am. They are just realized you're the cat in the hat. Would you eat them in a box? Would you eat them with a fox? What? What was that? Come on! Come on, you scum! Did she just, uh... Thank you very much. Michael told Michael, I hope you're having a better time than we are out here with this uh, festivities. What was that? And he reads it to crickets, and then Luna shoves him and says, Come on, you scum sucker, and leads him away. And that is our segment. That is what Dustin Reynolds was flown in to do tonight. That is what he got paid to do. <laughs> this was 
This was terrible. This had Vince Russo all over it. All over it. All fucking over it. You're exactly right. But as as somebody, if I had actually paid for this pay-per-view, which I did not, and I would be fucking irate that this is what they were giving me on a pay-per-view. Oh, my God. And it went like five to ten minutes. Oh, yeah. He read it. it, it, it he it got felt, like a three-fourths way through the book. Yeah, the book isn't that long, and he reads one line and pauses for an eternity and then reads the next line. It was... I am Sam. Sam. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Michael Cole is with LOD. They're mad that the Outlaws ran away with their title belts. Well, they actually won them and then ran away with them. Hawk says the Outlaws remind him of a deeply embedded booger, and so Outlaws get ready to get flicked. And instead of, oh, what a rush, he says, oh, what a booger. This had Vince Russo all over it, too. I agree. You hijacked out, got in your car, but you left one thing behind. We got our spikes back first. Then you took our titles. You are lucky to make it here tonight. We take pride in being the best that the WWF's got to offer. You two punks are going down. We're going to kick your teeth right down your throat. Tell them, Hawk. Well... Mr. Dog, Mr. S, you two remind me of a deeply embedded booger right up my right nostril and my fingertip and its nail are just a little too short to get to. But I dig and I dig and finally I get that booger and I get it in here and I roll it around and I flick it. Get ready. To get flicked, because tonight, Road Dog and Mr. Ass, you are the equivalent of mine and his boogers. Oh, what a booger. LOD is out first, and the New Age Outlaws are out next with their matching pants and airbrush shirts. Had no merch, and uh, Billy Gunn was uh, wearing pants, so this was very weird. He was still transitioning from Rockabilly here into the Mr. Ass role. I kind of like him in pants. Yes. Of, I always prefer pants. I am done with Speedos in wrestling. Pants. Everybody pants. Even tights. Just, I mean. Well, these were tight pants. Something than, something other than trunks. They're out next. Road Dog says, welcome to Jurassic Park. Please don't feed those dinosaurs the Legion of Doom. LOD doesn't like this, so they charge after them, and the outlaws just take off running. But Road Dog keeps the mic, and so he's like... The mic stays live through this whole yeah. thing, which so he's is like, great. No, 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 no. We're coming back. We're just stretching. We're just stretching a little bit. We just got to get ready. So they come down again. This time the LOD runs them off again. This time the Stooges stop them. And Road Dog claims that Billy Gunn is sick. But he's he needs not. to see a doctor. LOD finally decides to catch them this time, and they start brawling Animal Dex Road Dog with the belt. Right in front of Jimmy Corderas. The bell hasn't rang yet. I think it had. Jimmy Corderas lets this go. Hawk tags in and Road Dog gets drop kicked and then runs from Hawk. Hawk hits the neck breaker and Road Dog retreats again. Animal power bombs Road Dog for a two count before Billy breaks it up. Animal takes Gun out on the steps with Road Dog. The outlaws try to leave again. This time, though, Road Dog hits Hawk with a cooler that was under the ring, which I don't know why that was under there. Road Dog then hits a knee drop. And the worm, a Scotty Two Hottie tribute here from Road Dog for a two count. Gun then gets the hot tag and puts Hawk into rest holds, of course, to keep him away from Animal. Gun hits the Ric Flair knee drop to Hawk, who screams, Fuck! And it gets bleeped as 
Unlike Hunter Hearst Helmsley's knee drop, this one connected firmly onto Hawk's head. Animal gets the hot tag, cleans house, he calls for the doomsday device, but for some reason, Henry Godwin comes out, and he has aligned himself with the outlaws and decks out Animal with the slop bucket behind the ref's back, but then Hawk grabs it, and I'm like, oh man, this is crazy. They're going to still win despite interference. Like, this is LOD booking here, but no, Hawk grabs it, knocks down the outlaws with it, threatens Jimmy Corderas with it, and this is too far, Patrick. This is the the line that shall not be crossed. You shall not threaten Jimmy Corderas with a bucket, and the LOD is DQ'd, which could have happened as soon as the match started, but we waited until now. Yeah. And there you go. Uh, LOD on their way down the card until LOD 2000 will debut at WrestleMania. So, I mean, after the match, Lawler was like, I think that that might be the last we've seen of LOD. He was pretty much right. (laughs) He was. They got the mohawk shaved after this. We were wrong. It was after this. It was the very next next night on Raw, right? Yeah. Yeah, They powerbomb him through the table, and there you go. They shaved the mohawks. They had to find... Sunny and uh, find some new cool helmets to be able to get the courage to come back to work. And let those helmets last only two weeks. The boot camp match is next. We get black and white footage of missile explosions as well as old Sergeant Slaughter footage. December 7th will live in infamy for Hunter Hearst Helmsley, says Sarge. Cole is with Hunter in China. Hunter has a bag with a comb, metamucil, prunes, and depends, all for Sergeant Slaughter. Comb. Slaughter's bald. And Hunter's voice here is so different than the grizzled, old Hunter Hearst Helmsley of today, where he's, he's very nasally here, and yeah, I got some depends, and just very different sounding. Yeah, bigger nose. That's what it was. By the way, this bag would never come into play in the match. Not it was a, merely fun, a, it prop. Was a prop for the promo, that's it. Hunter says this is degeneration, and X marks the spot, and he'll let Sergeant Slaughter's wife smoke his peace pipe. December 7th, Hunter Hearst Helmsley will live with you in infamy. History has dictated that any time-tested leader has sufficiently supported their tough talk, usually with a weapon in their arsenal worthy of swift and severe action. Now, although shelved for most of this decade, Sergeant Slaughter has been pressed to unleash the dreaded Cobra Clutch once again. famous cobra clutch of Sergeant Slaughter. It goes right across that carotid nerve and it stops that blood supply and it's all over. Lights out. Devastating in its effect, it was usually thwarted only by aided firepower or in numbers. If in fact Triple H is foolish enough to ignore the past, he may be condemned to repeat it. Let's get the announcement. Think about it, Helmsley. December 7th is going to be your day of infamy. Here with Triple H and China and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, did you think when you began this disrespect of Commissioner Slaughter that it would backfire in your face? Backfire? You're a bigger idiot than I thought. Look at What I got right here is a special survival kit for Sergeant Slaughter. 
I've got all I'm going to need to beat Sergeant Slaughter in this bag. I've, I've got a comb, specially made to comb his hair so it'll look good when he goes to the ring. I've got Metamucil. I've got prunes to loosen the old man up. And don't worry, Sarge, I've got your back covered too because I got you some Depends. Listen up, Slaughter. This is not your generation. This is not the next generation. This, and put that camera on me, idiot. This is degeneration. And Slaughter, remember, X marks the spot. And when I get done, Slaughter, there'll be no hard feelings. As a matter of fact, I might take a swing by your house and let your old lady take a smoke of the peace pipe. Wonderful. Okay, that right there <laughs> would get your fucking head knocked off as soon as we got in the ring. Sergeant Slaughter's a professional, and professional or not, you're taking a receipt for that comment. I mean, Sergeant Slaughter works Super Clash Three, where men threaten to kill one another. So Hunter's out first with China. Then we have Jim Cornette, who's a backstage interviewer here. In 97, as I guess Todd Pettengill had been let go. Slaughter says he came here to fight a maggot and a puke. He says he's old, but he's not dead. And that's an order. Which it's not, but that's fine. Sergeant Slaughter comes out to the Patriots theme. Or maybe you might know it better as Kurt Angle's theme. Didn't yes. Sergeant Slaughter have a cool theme song back in the early he 90s? Did. He that did. Do, 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 do. That was a much... Why did they... Well, when he first come out, he would come out to the Marine Corps oh, right. song. So it was... I was shocked when he... I, was, I thought he was going to come out to that. No, they used Kurt Angle's theme here before it was Kurt Angle's theme. And they just... By the way, this boot camp match, as we mentioned earlier, just a no DQ match. That's all it is. They just brawl in the ring. Slaughter uses his riding crop to beat Hunter down. Slaughter elbows Hunter in the groin and throws him out of the ring. He snake eyes Hunter on the guardrail. He throws Hunter into the steps, back into the ring. Slaughter takes his belt off and smacks Hunter in the face and clotheslines him with it and then puts him in a chokehold with the belt. Calls for the Cobra Clutch, but Hunter gets out before he can lock it on. Hunter slings Slaughter over the ropes, and Slaughter had not taken many bumps over the top rope in a while, and you could tell because this was a bad bump to the outside where he hits the stairs first before hitting the floor. Hunter goes out and whips him into the steps. Then Hunter tosses Slaughter into the crowd and punches him back over the rail. He grabs the ring bell from Mark Eaton, who takes the worst bump of the Holy night here. Holy shit. The thud off the back of that ring bell to Eaton's head literally echoes. It was like, I compare it to Shane smacking his head on the concrete at King of the Ring 2001. It was one of those thuds that you, the mics picked up, and it was like, oh my God, that was... Yeah, he that, took the worst bump of the whole match, you, Mark Eaton. You know he had a headache after that. Sarge avoids the bell shot with a clothesline. Hunter takes Sarge into the ring, chokes him with the belt, and slings him across the ring with it. China then hands Hunter a chain. He wraps it around his hand and decks Slaughter with it. Slaughter and Hunter exchange some strikes, and then Slaughter grabs the chain, goes after Hunter, but gets back body-dropped over the ropes. Hunter goes to the top rope, but gets a boot to the face. Slaughter tries a scoop slam, but his back gives out, even though I don't know why he was selling his back here for some reason. Slaughter then hits a vertical suplex, and Hunter slams Slaughter off the top turnbuckle for a near fall. Hunter puts Slaughter in a sleeper, but Slaughter counters with the Cobra Clutch. China rakes him in the eyes to break it up. She forearms Jack Doan. Then, then she goes for a chair shot on Slaughter, but Slaughter freedom powders her. So China is taken out with the powder, which 
this is usually used by foreign wrestlers as a gimmick, so it's weird yeah. that the American sergeant here has the freedom powder. In WrestleMania 14, freedom powder would then oh. would come into play. Sarge would get this his... This is long-term booking Sarge here. Sarge would get his receipt on the freedom powder to China. Helmsley takes off his boot and uses it as a weapon on Sergeant Slaughter, which I thought, well, why don't you just keep it on your foot? That'll probably hurt just as bad, but okay. China kicks Slaughter in the balls, and then we get a pedigree on a chair, and Hunter wins the match. Wins the boot camp match. You'd think this guy that has no experience in boot camp would be at a big disadvantage, but this is Triple H we're talking about here, who was wrestling in uh, probably my favorite Hunter Hearst Helmsley t-shirt, where the H was boobs. Yes. H with boobs and to the third power. Yes. In the corner. Yes. So... What did you think of the boot camp match? I enjoyed the match. You you said you hated it. It was very slow, and it was, I don't know, when you do street fights or no DQ matches to me, you either have to have a comedy garbage match, like uh, the hardcore title matches, or you have to be super violent. It had, right, like, and unfortunately... This they, was neither. It was, it, was, it was Slaughter and Pat Patterson in their... Boot camp match, you can call it without uh, without the blood, and uh, and it went long. It was violent, but you didn't have the blood and gore that you needed to have for this to work. Yeah, I was very disappointed by this, and I mean, this is the the second most promoted match on the card, so kind of bad. Michael Coles with Double J for his in ring debut. They say, even though. He had worked for the company before. I love when he's coming out and JR says, this is the in-ring debut return of Double J. He says, bearing the Undertaker tonight will make him the number one contender, which is not true. Double J is out to a terrible theme song, which I did not remember at all. But it's, I didn't either. It's like organ music, like all like some like a big return, you know, like a big overture with jeff jarrett then saying oh i'm back and i'm the best so he just talks he cuts a promo over his theme song but not live on a mic like road dog so it's like a pre-recorded promo that and he's sitting there and he's the world's greatest wrestler double j jeff jarrett yeah he was uh really struggling with what his character was gonna be because they i guess they weren't weren't gonna do the country singer which they would later go back to. Well, he had this whole like sci-fi futuristic. This singlet was hideous. Singlet, but the jacket too. Like it was weird. He man. was all over the place with it his was, it was style. Weird. Yeah, he was dressed as NWA World Champion Jeff Jarrett. That when he uh, was in that NWA faction in WWF for yes. a little while, that's what he yes. looked like here. Teardrop Undertaker is out next when he had the old black teardrop on his face back in the day. Jarrett lands some rights before Taker tees off on him. He hits old school. He catches Jarrett trying an axe handle from the buckle with a choke, but Jarrett escapes the choke slam and chop blocks Taker and works on his legs. Got to soften him up for the figure four. Taker stops him with a backbreaker. Then Kane's music hits, and Jarrett is thrilled to see Kane. Oh, great, you're here to beat up your brother. Go, go do it, pal. Get in there. But instead, Kane choke slams him. Earning Jeff Jarrett the DQ win. So in some ways, he did help Jeff Jarrett. Told you. And so with this win, Jeff Jarrett is your number one contender. I told you Jeff Jarrett was going to beat The Undertaker here tonight. 
Kane and Taker then stare at each other. This is when Taker refused to strike Kane. I will not strike you, my brother. So they stare each other down. Kane strikes Taker, but Taker just takes it. He smacks him. He doesn't even punch him. He open hand smacks him like a woman would smack somebody. I challenge you to a duel. Yeah. Well, he should have took the glove off and done it. That'd been great. (laughs) Taker does not accept. And so Kane and Paul Bearer just leave. Then Jarrett tries to slap on the figure four after all this. He's like, I'm still going to get my shit in. But Taker just choke slams him. Holy shit, this choke slam was terrible. Oh, it was the slowest motion choke slam of all time. He picks him up and he's like trying to hold him, but then he he can't hold just him up. So he just him. like drops him and it was terrible. It was bad. Taker then leaves and Jarrett though, he's not done yet. He gets up and he wants his arm raised. He wants his music played. Not once, but twice. That's right. So what a debut. We talked about how bad those NXT debuts have been in the past few years. This was equally as bad and would not get much better for Jeff Jarrett in this company. And his exit from the company would not be very good, though he did make a lot of money at the end when he held Vince up for money. Literally. After his contract had expired. So it all worked out for Double J in the end. He got to open up his own wrestling company. Now he's back with the company. So, And he's a Hall of Famer with that company as well. Yeah. Who'd have thunk? He had a Raw match in 2019. He but this, was a part of the Royal Rumble in 2019. But this match uh, told me that this company did not know what direction they wanted to go with for the challenger at Royal Rumble because they've got Kane paired with Taker. Taker is your top babyface, so he's occupied. And the finish of the Shawn Michaels match and then what happens afterwards really lo- leaves the door open to... Who's going to take this match? Who is going to be the number one contender? So Jeff Jarrett could have very well been walking out of here thinking he might be chosen to be the guy at Royal Rumble just because whatever. You know, they didn't seem to have a direction, even though he was a heel, but like they could change that instantly. I mean, they just had no direction for the Royal Rumble title match, and they knew they wanted to get to Austin at Mania. So you can't use him at Rumble. He's got to win the Rumble. So we go to Jerry and Jr. Jerry mentions he's leading the karate fighters tournament, which is true, but I think he would lose it to Terry Runnels. If I remember correctly, a package recaps, Rocky Maivia's rise to stardom where Rocky became the rock and Austin took out the nation of domination several times. The, the original pager segment where rocks beeper went off and it distracted him long enough for Austin to get the jump on him from behind the three, one, six. Yeah. The first of, Twice that he would use the beeper. Then the infamous promo from Austin, it ain't a race thing, it's a me kicking your ass thing. I love that. I love that. That's a brilliant promo. I don't want to introduce race with this Stone Cold Steve Austin character. But see, that's what they did. That's what they did. See, Farouk seriously brings it up that the only reason Austin is going after them is because... They're African-American. And so then Austin's like, it's not a a race thing. It's not a colored thing. It's a me kicking your ass thing, which I think shut down the capabilities of Farouk 
being able to keep saying that. Rock is with Doc Hendricks in the nation. Rock says he's the people's champ and he's the best IC champion ever. I think Honky Tonk Man might have something to say about Honky, that. Honky, uh, yeah, he may bring that up in his Hall of Fame speech. Rocky Maivia's rapid rise to glory in the WWF was unparalleled. Now there's going to be the man right there. That's blue chip right there. Rocky headed up that wins Intercontinental Championship. This overnight fame went straight to Rocky's head, and The Rock became enamored with his own persona and celebrity status. The Rock fell in love with himself. You know, The Rock is a lot of things. You're looking at the real Intercontinental Champion. The Rock is calling all the shots on this one. Why? I'm a world-class athlete, a highly intelligent man, and I'm just better than the rest. I'm gonna show you exactly what The Rock is all about. You people, what at the rock? Well, the rock has answered your call. Thank you very much. Stone Cold Steve Austin has always known who he is. Stone Cold doesn't want you to cheer for him. Doesn't care if you cheer for him. He doesn't give a damn. Austin's an animal. Austin is not afraid of any odds. Let him in the castle and come on, Austin. Austin is going Stone Cold belongs to no nation, no faction, no brotherhood. He cares about one thing, and it's reflected in his creed. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Stone Cold has force-fed this doctrine to Rocky and the entire nation with a barrage of stunners. Rocky Maivia sets the challenge. Come hell or high water, one way or another, I'm going to be wearing my Intercontinental title. The Rock is, is stealing the Intercontinental belt. Maivia has Austin's Intercontinental Championship belt. What kind of reception is that, McMahon? Oh, my like Rocky. But you don't suck because these people say you suck. You suck because Stone Cold said so. When you walk into the airport and your beeper goes off, you look down and it says 316, you know your ass belongs to Stone Cold. Rob, Rocky's beeper just went off. Stone Cold is up for the ten of whoop ass on Rocky Maravilla. Stone Cold Steve Austin, bro, all the people know who the real jackass is. Well, this is a first for good old Jay. Thing. It ain't a color thing, it's a me kicking your ass thing, and can't nobody stop. Oh, these guys want each other bad. Oh, what a matchup on pay-per-view it's going to be. Rocky Maivia, earlier tonight you made a very boastful statement. You said you would not only beat Stone Cold Steve Austin, right. but you would also embarrass Stone Cold. 
Now, considering he's one of the most dangerous competitors in the World Wrestling Federation, don't you think you're taking a little Let me cut you off right there, Doc. First of all, it's The Rock. And second of all, as far as for him being the most dangerous this and that, hey, I am the most dangerous intercontinental champ. Okay, so let's get that straight right now. And not only that, it's time for The Rock to represent as the people's champion. As a matter of fact, the best damn intercontinental champ there ever was. All right, J.R. King, here comes the nation with The Rock. Rock is out with the nation. Uh, by the way, The Rock had stolen this belt from Austin. He did not win it. So he's Austin not- is still your intercontinental champion without the belt. So Rock's out with the nation. He says, finally, it's time for The Rock to defend his intercontinental title. Then Austin comes out driving his Austin 316 Silverado. This is fucking awesome. One of the best entrances of all time when he's he drives the truck all the way to the ring. He does. He climbs on the hood of it to get into the ring. He made his own little entry ramp. It was brilliant. I loved this entrance. The crowd went nuts as he brawls with The Rock and The Nation. The bell hasn't rung, so The Nation beat him down. And then D'Lo gets back body dropped into the truck's windshield. <laughs> Unfortunate for him. Which shatters. Yeah, which seems weird to me because he mainly hits it with his feet. And yes. windshields are pretty strong. But he smacked it hard, dude. That The, the dent in the, the hood of that truck was terrible. Yeah, Austin totally fucked up his own truck <laughs> he here. He did bad. And someone at the Royal Rumble was going to win this truck, by the way. They were going to win a version of it. I don't think they were going to get the beat up one. Then he hits a stunner on the top of the truck to D'Lo, so D'Lo is now taken out. Yeah, on the cab, the top cab of it, it gets dented in after the stunner as well. This truck got... Dude, that's the worst beating of the night right there is this damn truck. Then the bell rings and Rock and Austin brawl. Austin hits Thez press punches. Then Rock throws Austin to the outside and Farouk and Kama beat on Austin as D'Lo is still laying on the truck. Kama accidentally chair shots Farouk and Austin throws Kama into the truck. Rock scoop slams Austin and hits the people's elbow for a near fall. Rock tries another people's elbow, but Austin gets up. He tries to stun her, but Kama distracts him, and Austin stuns the ref by accident. He grabbed the wrong guy. Rock puts on some brass knucks, but Austin stuns him anyway. The ref is out, but Jimmy Corderas runs in and counts to three, and Austin gets his intercontinental belt back and finally gets to take his vest off. They wanted to be careful with Austin here because he was still recovering from the Owen Hart neck injury earlier in the year and they needed to keep him in good enough shape to get him to mania so smoke and mirrors fight around a truck do all this other stuff bells and whistles and you put on a five minute match and you don't take really any bumps so it was a win and the crowd loved it so yeah it was a great match it's very memorable for the uh d-lo stuff that happened on the truck uh in particular that was even though I didn't order pay-per-views at this time, that's something that I always remember seeing the highlights of and thinking that is so cool that they did that. So, Oh, yeah, it gets back body dropped on the hood and then gets stunned on the top, and you're like, dude, that's so brilliant. That's awesome. Now, unfortunately, the next night on Raw, Stone Cold Steve Austin was forced to vacate the title by Mr. McMahon, and uh, he did not take kindly to this and threw it in the river. And that's when we got the second instance of 316 on your pager rock and uh he also threw some scuba gear in the river and uh threw an oxygen tank and uh you know the rock had to go fish out the belt if he wanted it and i believe this was the end of that intercontinental belt design then that newer version belt that skinnier belt or did they bring 
I think the skinnier belt was brought to it was brought along after WrestleMania 14. So I think they brought it back just long enough for WrestleMania 14. Okay, it would have made more sense here to change it when it gets thrown. That's what I was. uh, You know, it makes sense. Yeah, because then it's like, well, hell, it's gone forever. I love when they do that. Even though it's really dark, you can see the boat out there with the like. You got to really look, but you see the boat with the divers there. To immediately go down and get all this. Oh, shit. I didn't think he even tossed the real belt. I thought he tossed something different. I thought it was like a magic trick, really, because he swings his arm over, but you don't see it's purposely off camera, and then something splashes in the water. So I don't. Yeah, but they even cut back, and you see the you see the thing falling. So I don't know if it's the belt or not, but you see something falling, and then you have people there to fish it out. If that's the case, they went to way too much trouble to do that. But I loved that uh, segment. It's probably one of my favorite segments in Raw history. Which and, then was turned around and used again for the Smoking Skull title. Yes. The Rock threw it in the river on Austin, right? Before this match, by the way, I failed to mention that they had a great Mark Henry promo from the karate fighter's seats in the crowd as he just said, I'm ready to get back in the ring. and uh, Here in another week or two. And uh, who are you pulling for in this match? Oh, Stone Cold, that's my guy. That's, that's my boy. And he would come back as a heel, so guess not. Sexual chocolate. Up next, a promo plays for the Shamrock HBK match. Sean has been training his legs to withstand the ankle lock. Ken Shamrock, you live and die by the ankle submission hold. So what I have done with the help of China and Triple H... I have been in that gym training these legs, and my pain tolerance is at an all-time high. I'm good. I'm keep going. I'm in the zone, brother. I'm in the zone. I can't can't feel nothing. I'm in the zone, brother. I gotta go. Go. Here we go. Okay. Now I really mean it. Now I really want you. Seriously. Now I really want you to turn it. Really. I mean, really crank on it, Hunter. Come on. Going. Come on! I can. I don't know that I can take too much more. I. I don't know that. I'm just about reaching my pain threshold. Yeah. I'm cool. Good. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, Degeneration X shows that we are always a leg up on the competition. And Hunter turned a fake leg. He twists his foot completely around, not once, Several times. but twice. Full rotation. Shawn Michaels' leg, It was that's brilliant that he can spin it that much. I was he's, shocked. He's prepared for this match. Yes, very much so. Shamrock put Shawn in the ankle lock, and Slaughter got the Cobra Clutch on Triple H on Raw. Jim Cornette is with Shamrock. Shamrock says there will be a lot of hurting going on. Well, it's like this. I do have a lot of experience, a lot of experience in pay-per-view fights. That's what I am. I'm a fighter. Shawn Michaels, you're a good wrestler. You have great experience and good conditioning. But I tell you this, when I get in my zone, there'll be a lot of hurting going on. And there's one thing that you can count on tonight. You will be squealing like a baby. Then the cage-lowering music from Hell in a Cell plays as Shamrock gets the Goldberg walkout here as we follow him. 
through the uh, gorilla position. Both guys did. Yeah, they both got Goldberg entrances here. And that, it's the same thing that they did at WrestleMania 14 as well. And they did it, at they Survivor did it at Survivor Series. That's right. It's strange that they only incorporated this for like, yeah, four or five months and never went back never to Never went back. I liked it. I wish they would do this even now. It makes it have a big fight feel. Like it when, really does. Last year at All In, when Cody Rhodes and did the walkout, and uh, Nick Aldis did the walkout, like I, that was awesome. Like it made it, even though that match, I didn't, I wasn't into that match, but that the way they produced it, like it made me more hyped for a match that I really didn't care to see because I think Nick, Nick Aldis is garbage. But so Sean is with DX, and Jr. talks to him through the magic of television, I guess. And Sean cuts a promo on JR calling him Girth Brooks. Huh, hilarious. JR's fat, by the way, if you didn't notice, uh, Patrick. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. Sean gets the Goldberg walkout as well, passing Linda McMahon on the way to the ring. So we get a uh, two weeks of Linda McMahon here in the uh, Retro Wrestling Podcast. Yes. Sean gets in the ring. The match starts. He takes a big kick from Shamrock and bails to the outside. By the way, Commissioner Slaughter... Fine with letting China and Hunter stay ringside this entire match. What the fuck? And at least he could have at least come out here to even the odds a little bit. Yeah. Or get his ass knocked down again or something. Shamrock tees off on Michaels when they get back in the ring, and Sean gets back body dropped to the outside and once again regroups with DX. China distracts Shamrock, but Shamrock still connects with a big ride on Sean, and he spits everywhere into the arena like... Sean selling for Shamrock in the early portion of this match was brilliant. Like It really was, yeah. That's one thing that, unfortunately, Ken Shamrock cannot do very well, and that's sell. Sean lands some corner punches on Shamrock. Lawler mentions that Sean got rid of all the Hart Foundation. They'll never be seen again, right? Never. Sean is choked, thrown into the corner by Shamrock. Then he sells a turnbuckle kick by flying into the air. My least favorite Shawn Michaels sell but he gets crotched on the ropes by the world's most dangerous man. He stops a belly-to-belly attempt by grabbing onto Earl. A very good strategy by Sean. Then he clotheslines Shamrock out of the ring and skins the cat to get back in. Hunter gets some cheap shots in on the outside as Sean hits a planche off the top turnbuckle to Ken Shamrock. Shamrock and DX brawl until China shoves him into the ring post. Then she scoop slams Ken Shamrock. The number one contender is getting beat up by China. So she could be the contender at Rumble. Sean then hits a splash to him off the apron, which, as we mentioned earlier, this is Sean before the back injury, so he's doing a a lot more of this stuff here in this match. Hunter flings him into the guardrails. Then Shamrock gets back into the ring and eats a dropkick from Michaels for a near fall. Shamrock battles back and rolls through a crossbody and gets a near fall on HBK. HBK slaps on a chin lock and Shamrock elbows out of it. Sean then goes to the sleeper for ages on Ken Shamrock. Shamrock just backs him into the corner and elbows out of it. Shamrock scores a near fall with a power slam. Then he hits a Hurricane Rana and punches. Gets a thumb to the eye. Sean Irish whips him after an eye poke, and Ken Shamrock nearly breaks his neck on the top rope here as he stumbled into the rope trying to sell the effects of the eye poke and just Enzo amore the top rope and snapped off of it. It was scary. Yeah, it was It was very... He was doing really well in this match, and I was believing he was a true contender until this, and I was like, oh, that's it. He's going down to mid-card. I thought his performance in this entire match was like, they're never, they're never giving him another shot here. Like, really? 
I thought his promo was bad. Oh, his promo was terrible. Like, he does come from a pro wrestling background, but he's, he's not green. used to, yeah. yeah. His character is just not what it should be, like... I don't know. Oh, Hunter and China get some cheap shots in, and then Sean hits his big elbow off the turnbuckle. He tunes up the band, but Shamrock ducks. Stone Cold must have been scouting this match here. Shamrock just ducks and then hits the belly to belly and goes for the ankle lock. Oh, my God. Ken Shamrock's going to win the WWF title. Just kidding. Hunter and China just walk in and get Sean DQ'd by beating Ken Shamrock down. For a main event of a pay-per-view, you can't have it end on fuck finishes. I just hate that. I hate that for people who paid extra money to see what they see on Raw all the time. like Or house shows. This is a house show finish. This is an in-your-house show finish. Hated the ending. Especially because, yeah, Slaughter was here earlier tonight. He couldn't come back for this. Like, whatever. Yeah, I And also, Owen, by the way, Owen Hart could have run out a little earlier as Hunter and China throw Shamrock out of the ring and are occupied with him. Meanwhile, Sean celebrates on the second rope, and Owen Hart sneak attacks him, shoves him off the turnbuckle down into JR's announcer's table, and then tries to gouge his eyes out, which looked very violent. And then, like a thief in the night, escapes through the crowd as Owen Hart has made his presence known. But that's... Look, Sean is still going to get all his heat back. He gets back into the ring, poses with DX, and gets his theme song played. At the end of the pay-per-view, named after his faction. Yes. So, a reminder of the pecking order here in the WWF in 1997. So, I hated the finish. This match, like, I thought Sean selling for Shamrock early on was good, but then Shamrock, when he has to be on the defense, he doesn't know. No, he doesn't. not at all. And it's not like he no-sells. He does in-between selling and not selling, and that's the worst you can do. Like, you just kind of, like, shake your head a little bit. You don't, you're never in peril. He's never in peril, and he never builds enough babyface fire for a comeback. Like, he just had nothing going on in this match. There was never a part, even at the very end. Like, I think only one or two people I saw, like, actually stand up at the end thinking he's actually going to win this. Like, Yeah. So, and I actually think they might have, I mean, JR at the end of the match said, Shamrock definitely deserves a rematch. Like, I think that they might have been considering giving him the Rumble match. But after this... No. So, like I said, he was doing good till he snapped his neck on the top top rope, and then I was like, "Well, that that <laughs> you're going to middle mid card there, buddy." Well, and also the thing with Owen went nowhere too, which this is always what I come back to is this should have been the match at Rumble is Owen and Sean. Yeah. And then Owen, Owen and Sean wouldn't have had a casket match, and Sean wouldn't have broken his back. So in a way, like Karma, it would have worked out better for Sean to be a big boy and put his big boy pants on and go in there and fight Owen Hart and he'd still win. Yeah. But just do it. Like Owen never got his comeuppance for the Hart family against DX. So it just kind of sucks. Like why even tease us with it at the end when you can't deliver on it? I mean, he beat Hunter, but Hunter's not Sean. Sean is the one that was in on the screw job, you know? Right. Well, and he didn't go after Hunter in this one either. He, no, he hit Sean. Those punches he laid in, man. There was they utilized Owen better than WCW utilized Brett in the same month. There was no, there was no pulling it, man. They laid that shit. He laid that fucking shit into Sean. <laughs> Michael, stop up the apron. My God, it's Owen Hart. 
attacking Shawn Michaels. And even when he's grabbing his face, man, you just see him like he's bleeding around his nose from where, you know, his fingernails, Owen's fingernails are just digging into his face. It was very, you could tell the frustration and he, well, he was probably excited to be back on TV after a month. So true. But I'm just saying you could tell the frustration after what had gone down with Brett that they, they took the Hart family took it very personal. Well, but this would go nowhere, and of course, Sean would end up wrestling Taker at Royal Rumble, then missing No Way Out, and then wrestling Austin, and sitting in retirement. Uh, as far as WWF, he had one match in his training academy uh, one night in Texas in between his return, but that was it. Really? Yeah, it's actually, there. I saw footage of it this week online, and I remember at the time reading about that. It's just something that I've forgotten, because if it doesn't happen in WWF, it doesn't happen. Who I, I did not know this. In the year 2000, he had his uh, first match in two years. It was a hardcore street fight against a wrestler named Venom, and that was at his Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy. So, Yeah, so, uh, but that was it for Shawn after Mania, so... Never got to come back to this Owen Hart thing, sadly. And uh, they need, they were in a real jam, and it's a good thing that DX turned into more of a babyface group after Mania and that Mick Foley turned into a giant babyface that they stumbled into because they were very short on people to cheer for here in 1997. So uh, what do you think overall of Degeneration X in your house from 1997? Not bad. Not bad. There was a couple of matches that I would have cut, but not overall not not a bad attitude era pay-per-view. I think the Austin match was certainly a highlight, even though it was all smoke and mirrors and uh, magic tricks. Match of the night, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the card I would skip, unless you want to see Ken Shamrock's one and only world championship opportunity uh, uh you didn't like it but i did enjoy slaughter triple h uh the lod and outlaws i thought was actually pretty pretty entertaining um just the fact of the boxing match i would have well i know how much you love mark marrow anyway uh brian christopher man i i really enjoyed that match especially though the fact that he toughed through that after just the blood pouring out of his mouth, man. And yeah. He, that was some sick. He, he got stitches after that. There was no way around it. Yeah. I just, uh, would have been very disappointed if I had purchased this in 1997 though. In your houses were a little bit cheaper than the regular pay-per-view. So maybe not that upset, but I don't think anybody thought that Shamrock was going to win the belt, but they, Needed to do something because Starcade 97 was around the corner and WCW was not going to fuck that up, right? Nope. So, on a rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, Degeneration X in your house, 97. Well, the one and only DX in your house. Where do you rank this one? Slaughter. I'm going to give this one a Miguel from the Los Bariquas because... Miguel's a big guy. For the Bariquas, he was uh, the the giant of the group. Yeah. So, it's my pick. Is it my pick this week? It is. It's my pick this week, and since we are in March, I wanted to pick a pay-per-view from March from years past, and 
that really narrowed it down because there really aren't a lot of pay-per-views in the month of March that aren't WrestleManias or, I mean, they're just really random shows in March. So I picked a random show that has an infamous match, which I have never actually sat down to watch, but it looks awful and it costs a lot of money, so you know it's WCW. And you know it's uncensored. 1995, King of the Road, uh, Dustin and the Blacktop Bully uh, battling it out on an 18-wheeler with a helicopter filming them the whole way. The match that got Dustin fired from WCW for doing color in an 18-wheeler hardcore match got Dustin fired and started Gold Dust. So what we saw tonight at Degeneration X would have never happened had he not had this King he of the got, Road. He got fired for getting color in this match? Yes. They had a whoever was in charge of WCW or standards and practices or somebody, there was a no-blading policy. There you go. I didn't know that. Yeah, so. They do bleed, and it's... But this match... Is, it's on a pay-per-view called Uncensored. This... I thought we had done this pay-per-view. No, we not. did, uh, I believe, Uncensored 96 or something. We've talked about doing King of the Road, but I've never... We did one year of Uncensored, because yeah, that was the Triple Cage. That was the alliance to end Hulkamania. Anyway, the King of the Road match, you, which you have never seen. No, I've only seen seconds of it. It is it is extremely long. It is extremely... Well, yeah, it's on a tractor trailer, so... It is extremely entertaining. No, that part I... And the I fact like. that they get stopped by a school bus at a stop sign... And these men are still having to bounce around like they're going down the road is fucking hilarious. Oh, okay. I can't wait to see So this is, it's very, very good. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week in the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Uh, Go to RetroWrestlingPodcast.com. Check out Power Slam TV. Yes. Now they're up to over 4,500 hours of content. I, a little side note, I don't always do this, but I do recommend stuff on occasions. 350 Days is a documentary coming out, pro wrestling documentary. I feel like is is vastly worth the pre-order. It looks very interesting. And so definitely for true wrestling fans, you want to check it out. No, I wouldn't watch that. It's old. It's archived footage of wrestlers, a lot of which have passed away since they shot this footage. Some of it is recycled footage that I definitely saw in the Ted DiBiase, Price of Fame movie. I don't know. It just looks kind of lame. Okay, well, that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.